Hello and welcome to another episode of the Road to Success podcast. My name is Maddie Lovell. Thank you so much for joining me today as I chat with the founder of Plato Creative, John Plato. John Plato, mate, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Now, we've sort of, we've got some mutual connections. We've met once, but um, I know a little bit about you and, and we'll get into, um, you know, your sort of business, you know, sort of um, ventures and Plato creating and all that kind of stuff soon. But I guess what would be cool to sort of understand to start with would be more around, um, you know, your sort of how you started. You sort of grew up in South Canterbury, you understand? Yeah, yep. So uh, country boy. So a little town called Leeston. So it's about 45 minutes um, south of Christchurch. So I was actually born in Invercargill, um, so, but I was only there for a few months from what I understand, three or four months, relocated into town. Um, my father, uh, he left when I was about three. So, you know, he was an alcoholic, um, you know, violent towards mum. So he disappeared early. Do you remember any of that? Yep. Yeah, I was old enough. So yeah. I've got a little brother and little sister. So yeah. my brother would have just been born. My sister would have been one and a half, maybe two. Yeah. So, yep, I, I remember that day vividly. <laughs> Which is uncommon for a three-year-old, yeah. right? Like I know you've three got, and a half. I yeah, was, so. but still, you know, mm. like, I mean, you probably can't remember much else from being three and a half, right? No, yeah, it's funny. And you often think that because you don't. Mm. But I guess there's those key moments that yeah, yeah. Uh, you do and it stays in your mind and there's one or two things that you remember from it and that's the yeah. piece, you know. Yeah. Mm. And so he left at three and a half. Three and a half, yep. And, you know, so I'd say that, you know, we were pretty poor, pretty fractured at that point. Um, you know, it was a bit of a struggle for mum, you know, from what I would remember at that time. But, you know, she met my stepfather not long after that, and he basically packed us up and thought we'd do better living in the country um, than in town. And mm -hmm. so off we went. And that's where we sort of stayed in, in Leeston and whatnot and all the way through till probably when I was 20 years old when I met the wife and moved to town. Yeah, yeah. And so and you dropped out of high school. Why? I was not good at school. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, look, I was not an academic. I don't know. For me, it was funny, and it's not a um, talking negatively about, you know, country school or whatnot because there's a lot of benefits of that as well. But, you know, growing up, you know, as a kid in the country, it was as a young boy, you know, your dream is to be an all-black all you care about sport, you know, for me. And there was, if you weren't an all black, you basically had two options as a career. You were going to work on a farm or you're going to be a tradesman, you know, and that's what I did, you know. So I left school when I was 16, sort of sixth form, I think it was back then. Um, so, and I actually wanted to go into a building trade um, at Polytech, but there was no, no, uh, no room left. So, but there was two spots to be a mechanic. So I went and did my Polytech as a mechanic and um, did that trade and stayed in that for 10 years. Wow. Mm, which is interesting. So how old were you when you finished up being a mechanic? Uh, I think I was around 25-ish, you know. It was, yeah. um, we so started you right around 15. Yeah, school, yep, yeah. Yep. just before 16 I think it was, yeah, yeah, yeah around then. Wow, and um, and so you're a mechanic for, for 25 years and did you enjoy it? 10 that? years. 10 years, sorry, 10 years. when you were 25, yeah. yeah. Yep. Would you enjoy it? Yeah, I did, you know, it taught me a lot. Um, you know, I guess going back to some of that family stuff, you know, what actually happened, my best friend was the son of the company that I um, worked for for all that time. And he had a, a fantastic family, you know, the Cochrans, they big agri-dealer, um, well-known, and they were probably what I needed, you know, at that time. So 
dedicated myself to that, had the opportunity um, and, you know, I, I guess had my first probably mentors that, you know, I would have never have met if I didn't go down that line. Mm-hmm. So it's funny how everything works out for a reason. You know, yeah. I believe in that. Yeah. Um, and it set me on the path to where we are now. Yeah, totally. Do you still, like, if the car breaks down, do you have a, <laughs> do you have a crack at it? Not so much now. <laughs> you know, I've lost a lot of those skills. I'd like to say I'm handy, but yeah. not, yeah, definitely not what I was, I guess, you know, all that time ago. Yeah, and to someone who doesn't know you, like, mm. that, does that, that, I mean, it blew my mind when you said I was a diesel mechanic for 10 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, eh? I think it's it's one of those things because people always like, well, how do you go from that into, you know, running a creative agency and business and all those things? And, you know, the fundamentals for me were all the kind of the same, you know. In that job, it was about problem solving, being good to people, client relationships, all that type of stuff. So although it's not exactly in that field, they, they cross over those things. Yeah. And I've definitely found that. Yeah, and I also find like, I mean, I, I went to... Polytech and I did a Bachelor of Education and, um, you know, I, I taught for three days. I completed my, got my degree and then taught for three days and then never taught again, you know. <laughs> and so, like, if you look at it in that respect, it was a very expensive three days that I taught for. But in the same regard, like, I think if when you're young and you commit to something and you actually sort of, like, stick your head down and you do some work and you learn some things, you actually, the, the broader skills you develop and learn are, are far more valuable than the specific skills that you attain. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, what it did for me is, you know, I was, I always had work ethic. Um, But doing a trade at such a young age, you know, I understood money really early. Um, You know, I brought my first house when I was 17. And so, you know, I guess right back from then, if you think about the opportunities, I remember back then, you know, you start, you might be on $4 an hour, you know, as an apprentice. And I remember thinking vividly, when I get to $300 a week, you know, I'm all good, like life's going to be sweet, have my house, you know, happy days. And that was kind of how I was thinking, you know, all the way yeah, yeah. through. And and I guess, you know, going through that and making your way, moving out of home so young, doing all that stuff, you know, you learn to grow up quick. Yeah, totally. I mean, you, the deep end's a good place to learn to swim, right? I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah. And um, you said that you bought your house when you, your first house when you were 17. Where mm. did that desire come from? Because that's not a, a typical Kiwi thing either. No. Well, look, I was I was always, I guess, you know, I always worked hard and I was always pretty good with money. I was a good saver young, even at school, you know. I used to finish school and I'd go and work in the butchery. I used to work in the local joinery shop. I did all those things. You know, when um, I was doing polytech, I'd get up at four in the morning and work at I think it's Countdown on Morehouse Ave, you know, uh, making mints in their butchery, you know. Yeah. So I was always self-sufficient and always um, paying my own way, figuring it out. And and I guess, you know, as at a young age, you know, wanting to have a house, it was still in my mind that having a house was a sensible thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything was just focused on getting that. Yeah. And doing do you remember that. what you paid for your first house? Yes, 101000 <laughs> <laughs> I vividly remember it and I know that because... A few years later, um, I sold that house and I was forced to sell the house through changing circumstances and whatnot, and I sold it for $102,000. So, <laughs> you know, um, so I didn't do too well out of it, but yeah. it was a good life lesson. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's funny, eh? we had, I had my father-in-law, actually, Paul, on here, and he said he sold real estate when he very first started in his, his professional career, and he said that 
if he'd bought every house that he sold in his first year, mm. he would be better off now. And that's you know, amazing. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, imagine yeah. you bought you bought yeah. you bought ten houses, a oh hundred thousand dollars. I've you got know. so many of those. Um, <laughs> yeah, so many of those in my life so far. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet. And so, and so, you at twenty five when you decide to finish up as a diesel mechanic, was mm. that sort of a natural progression, or you were you tired, wanted to do something else? Ah, uh, well, I really come back to rugby. You know, I still, you know, all the way up. Through working in that trade, I always wanted to be a professional rugby player. You know, I was pretty good, um, but I clearly wasn't good enough to do that. And so for years and years and years, you know, it's all about trying to make Canterbury do all those things. And I remember, I think I was around 22 when I finally made Canterbury B. And for me, that was the opening. I was like, cool, they know who I am now. Next year, I'm going to be a professional rugby player. Life's good. Yeah. It all worked out. <laughs> and it was really interesting because, you know, playing in the country, I was always one of the better, better players. But going into that environment, you know, I realised pretty quick that, um, you know, I wasn't as good as what I maybe thought I was at the time. And it was a real lesson. It was a bit of a humble pie as well. Um, and so I played Canterbury B for a couple of years had an opportunity to go to Japan to play rugby. And that was around the time, you know, I'd met Lisa, my now wife, by that time. And we basically were going to go and do that or we're going to start a business. Mm -hmm. And I was quite injury prone and whatnot. We were going to make enough money to travel by going overseas and playing rugby, but um, ultimately it wasn't going to be a career. And I knew that at that point. So Mm -hmm. we took the business route. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you, when was the last time you played rugby? Have you... <laughs> I quit when we started the business pretty so much, 25, 26, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was the same. I quit when I was, um, well, earlier than that, I reckon probably t- 21 maybe, if yep. that. And um, when I started playing three years ago, which was a, a big shock to the body. <laughs> First game is tomorrow, actually. Oh, really? If you want to run. Oh, my God. I admire you for doing that, for sure. <laughs> I miss the camaraderie, but yeah. not the yeah. not the rest of it, that's yeah. for sure. No, and... Um, and and my wife dislikes it because I spend most of the next six days complaining oh, about it, 100%. <laughs> about being sore. And she says, "You don't have to play this weekend." And then about the fifth day, you start to feel better, and then you play again on the seventh. That's so, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And you. so, um, tell me about meeting Lisa because one of the interesting things about you guys is, mm. is you guys have worked together. You know, like did you? Yeah. Did you? How long before that did you sort of know her? So I met Lisa when I was twenty. So she would have been just eighteen, nineteen. In and, the country as well. She was uh, actually, it's a funny story in itself where. It was after a game of rugby coming into town one night. I think I met her around three or four in the morning at the Mad Cow, which was probably one of the seediest <laughs> bars in Christchurch. Yeah. Um, so met Lisa there and, um, yeah, never Rest really looked history. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so an odd way to meet, but it yeah, worked yeah. out. Yeah, oh, I think there's probably a several, you know, a number of couples in Christchurch that have met in the, somewhere, <laughs> the Mad Cow or the Grumpy Mile. Yeah, yeah one of the two, right. yeah. Um, and so um, you meet her and, and then you decide to move to town. Yep going to not pursue this professional rugby thing. Um, And then, so where did the idea of a creative agency come from? Well, it was funny because I remember when Lisa and I first met, um, you know, as you do on your first date and that, we went out to Sumner and that um, place on the beach, you Mm -hmm. know, near the Cave Rock there, that restaurant. And we're getting to, you know, figuring each other out. And we both said that, you know, we wanted to have a business. Um, We didn't know what that was and whatnot, but we were kind of quite aligned on that pretty early. And funnily enough, where was know, where did that come from? Well, I don't know. I mean, for me, I think for me personally, it was probably more so because of the Cochrane family um, influence. Mm-hmm. You know, successful family, um, 
close family network, successful business, all that type of stuff, you know. So for me, I saw that and I definitely wanted a piece of that. And so I knew that pretty early. I didn't mm. know what I was going to do to make yeah. that happen. Um, but I was definitely inspired by seeing a family having a holiday home, yeah. you know, having all those things that, you know, yeah. you, you're sort of, if you're not exposed to as a young kid, yeah. um, you're like, wow, shit, this is... You don't even consider possible. Yeah, you don't, yeah, you yeah. don't even know it's on the radar. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that was pretty much where I got it from. I know Lisa's from... Um, her family run and owned an orchard down in um, Ernsclue, uh, Central Otago, uh, Cherry Orchard. So I think she was around her family and business a lot too. So I guess she was always, Lisa's always been quite self-motivated and, and you know, strong work ethic. Mm-hmm. So I guess we both sort of knew what we wanted to do, mm-hmm. but we just didn't know what it was yeah. at that point. That was the same for us actually as well yeah. when we were overseas. We knew that – well, actually, and, and I never saw it, didn't think about it, but both our parents owned businesses yep. and um, and I'd never um, – I didn't know – I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it was that, but I was it was just something that – yeah, I, I've, I've never thought about that actually myself either. I don't know where it came from yeah, for us. But. it's interesting. Eh? My stepfather had a business where he was a hay contractor, but that didn't excite me about business at all because yeah. we didn't seem to have any money and he was always working and we did nothing as a family. So yeah. to me, there was no real inspiration in business at that point. It wasn't until later on when, you know, you sort of got a different look at what it could do potentially. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Have you heard of Naval Ravikant? No. He's a really interesting sort of guy. He was a, 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 a tech startup investor guy and he sort of then turned sort of quite philosophical and um, runs a company called Angel Investor. Anyway, very interesting guy. And he's written a book. Um, I'll lend it to you if you want. But mm. it's... Um, and he talks about the idea of um, like if you if you want real wealth, then you have to have an ownership stake in something. Yep. Like you're no matter how high your hourly rate could get, like it's yep. never going to create long term generate intergenerational yep. wealth from. And I like I don't I, I agree with it personally. I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's a, a, a law of nature, but yep. I tend to agree from my experience at least anyway. Yeah, for sure, I think so, definitely. And I think you know, for me, the the whole thing with it. I don't even know if it was so much about at the start that that was a way to have a better life or, you know, the money side of it. I think it was more, it was the challenge side of it, you know, like it was chasing something. I think, you know, for me, it's always been about chasing a goal or a prize or whatever it might be. You know, it's that sort of self-motivation to do something. Mm -hmm. And business seemed like an interesting, what was the only option after sport sort of fizzled out. So Yeah, Yeah, I, I remember thinking like I wanted to do it because I wanted to be able to like, Go to my kids' sports games and school yep. camps and stuff, and I, yeah. I don't, I don't believe. I remember thinking that and saying that. I don't believe myself now. Like I don't know if that was the yeah. reason I did it. I just, um, it was just, yeah, this is certainly something that sort of triggered us. And I wasn't thinking about the financial aspect of it either. No, it was just. And what I, when we started the business, what I really liked of it was that your, your, your destiny was in, in completely in your control. And if yep. you, I worked for five years in a, in a large sort of corporate media company, and um, and it was great, and I loved it. it. Was a really fun job. But you know, whether I showed up and did everything I could, or whether I showed up hungover and, and sort of scraped by the day, yep. I kind of got my same pay each week. And I kind of went, you know, like, and there wasn't, you know, there, there wasn't, not that you should be extrinsically motivated to do a good job, um, but there was certainly no, yeah, you know, I get return you for my extra effort. Yeah. 
and maybe that's a short-sighted view and long-term there may, there maybe would have been, but I find that in business, you know, when you own it, if you really put your head down and knuckle down and make some smart decisions and take some risks, then yep. the, there can be some – and the upside might not necessarily be financial. It might yep. just be progress or yeah, for you know, sure. whatever it is, but you – it's, it's far more satisfying, I find. It is, definitely. And I think it's having the, I suppose, the discipline to stop and look at those milestones. Mm-hmm. Do you know, I think that's the key thing because that's the hard piece. You know, you forget um, along the way, you know, what, yeah. what has been done and what you have managed to do. Yeah, when you're driven and ambitious, that's sort of, it's, that, it's called hedonic adaptation. It's sort of like when you, you know, everything, you've probably got now everything you, mm-hmm. even more than you thought possible when you're a 21-year-old yeah. rugby player. For sure. And, um, but it doesn't, you don't feel that sort of, because you just adapted to things slowly along the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, you're right. And you forget to sometimes recognise and celebrate the you know how far we've come because it's a it's a long way and so you guys decide to sort of do this business mm. she, you're interested in it she's interested in it yeah how do you get to creative agency well um, so there was a couple of steps so when we said business the first thing we did and it was so funny looking back now because you feel like an idiot but we um, we were reading the paper back then and there was a cafe for sale um, in the Miraval Mall. I think it was called Savoir. It was next to Little India there, mm-hmm. the thing. And Lisa and I rung the business broker and you know, said, we're looking to buy a business, whatever. Went and met these people there, had no idea, like literally no idea about business, anything. And looking back, thinking about that meeting, how cringy it must have been for the owner and the broker. But we started to learn, you know, we, we got information, we saw a P&L for the first time. Yeah. So we started to self-educate and learn about these things. And we didn't really want to run a cafe. We wanted to run a business and, and we didn't know, you know, so we were like just putting ourselves out there and, and seeing what was out there and whatnot. And where it really changed is that Lisa was studying viticulture um, and winemaking. And I can't remember who she said, but someone said to her, there's no money in wine, but there's money in marketing wine. And that was the I guess the catalyst to how everything changed for us. So she went off and um, worked part-time for Ravensdown Agri-Firm as a marketing coordinator. And one day she, you know, we're looking at businesses and whatnot and she's like, man, there's an opportunity for an agency. They're so hard to work with and, you know, the service isn't great and yada yada, why don't we do this? And that's really where it started. And it was just a throwaway comment and six months later, you wow. know, Plato was... Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, thanks to that person who uh, decided yeah. to yeah, yeah. throw, throw in that idea. For sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I like what you said about sort of the self-educating and looking because, you know, it was the same with us. We looked at like dozens of businesses and I think back to our first meeting as well and like you think like someone says something like, Ebit, and you're like, excuse me, yeah, exactly. what, what does that mean? Unreal, you know, yeah, like, and so you're, funny, and like you're, after the meeting, you sit in the car and you're like googling, what does Ebit mean, or something like that, you know. Definitely. But it was, it was, um, but I think that also, like, you have to look at a hundred deals before you recognize one that's good, 100%. I agree, you know, and, and the same is with property, is what I, what yeah. I was taught. It's like that yep. if you see a house and it's half a million dollars, like, you've got no, if you haven't looked at at least a dozen before that, you've got no idea if that's the bargain of the century or the yep. ripoff of the century or Definitely. somewhere somewhere in between. It's so true. And it's only through looking at, so whenever I talk to people about property or even businesses, I say like with a business broker, like you can just sign an NDA and they'll send you everything and you can just yeah. look at them and it's free and you read it and you learn. Well, it's the and best then, education. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Really and then all of a sudden you see one and you're like, wow, this yeah. this seems quite, there's some, something here and there's a, yep. someone's got to get out or whatever reason and, and it's but only through looking at, hundred different 
And it starts to make sense, right? Yeah. Um, after a wee while, just naturally, yeah. you know, and we were the same with property and from another point of view as well. You know, we looked, I remember when we were starting our business, we brought a, a house in Limwood, you know, uh, you know, shitty little place. Um, but we started out, we brought a place there together. That was cool. But we were in the weekends going to houses in Scarborough and Kashmir, multi-million dollar homes, looking through them at open days. Same thing, just looking to lift your sights, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And saying, wow, this is awesome. And no position, no yeah. reason to be there at all. Embarrassing yeah. to put your name on the yeah, yeah, thing when you walk yeah. in the door. But it was you all about... You change the last number of your <laughs> yeah. phone numbers later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I literally did do that many yeah, a time. Yeah, so did we. <laughs> but it's all about, you know, it's about exposing yourself to things that are out of your realm, you know, yeah. as well. You know, so there's a lot to be said for putting yourself in those um, situations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when we, after we had our first business, we wanted a second. I reckon I probably looked at like I looked at everything from car washes to food places to yep. other gyms to other, everything I just looked at everything and cool. and um, it is cool because yeah. when you see something and then yeah, when we saw our second business I was like this is this this, this is they've de-risked everything by the way the model was and yeah. it was only from looking at other things so yeah, I completely agree with you there and that was our experience as well and so um you know, you, you've someone told Lisa that um, you know there's money in marketing wine, yeah, and, yeah. and she's yeah. working at, at Ravensdown and recognising the agencies are, are, are pretty average, and yep. so you decide to give it a go. And does do you both go all in? Does one work somewhere else yeah. to start with to no, pay the mortgage? Great question. So look, we we didn't go all in um, at the start. So Lisa, so we agreed that Lisa would um, resign and go full in it. Plato. So we had enough money to buy a computer and an office uh, chair, and we worked out of our. She worked out of the Linwood townhouse, you know, at the bench there. And look, Ravensdown were fantastic to us at the time. They actually gave Lisa um, a steady flow of design work, you know, which got her started, mm. and it was cool. And I was sort of doing, you know, nights and. The original plan was to do a few days a week. You know, I remember going to my boss, who was a great man, and saying to him, because he would have known I had work ethic and whatnot, and I remember going to him going, hey, look. when you were working as a mechanic. Yeah, still as a mechanic at that point, and I went to him and said, oh, look, you know, we're starting this business, and I think I can work for you, you know, from Thursday to Sunday, and I can get my 50 hours in for you, and then I'll work at Plato Monday to Wednesday because that's the working week, and I can start doing sales and yada, yada, yada. So my mindset was to do both and just Mm -hmm. work 24-7 and make it work, and was totally prepared to do that. And I think it was a few months in, uh, Lisa's dad actually said to me, um, he was like, you know, you and Lisa, whatever you put your mind to, it'll work. So just, you got to commit, you know, you got to pull the pin, you got to commit, you got to get it done. And it was a super hard decision. And it was a hard decision because I loved my boss and I loved that family, you know, and I, I actually loved my job. It set me up. I learned a lot. Still got great friends out there now. And, you know, he was my, uh, James, the son was my best man. Mm-hmm. We're still best mates. So it was very, very hard to leave. It was probably one of the hardest conversations still that I've ever had, saying that I was leaving that business, you know. But I knew there was more for us as well, and I guess getting that push from Lisa's dad to commit, we just went all in, and that was a few months after we started. So, yeah. Straight in the deep end. Straight in the deep end. No no plan B. No plan B. I always think about that, though, and and, um, Tim Ferriss talks about this idea of fear setting, and he says, like, what's the absolute worst thing that could happen? Yeah. And then you go, right, well, if the absolute worst happened, what would I do? Yep. And then you go, well, then you create like even like a three or four steps that you might do. And you go, well, if the absolute worst happened, I'd do these three things, like go back, be a diesel mechanic. They'd probably employ you the next month if you asked. Sure. And so – 
It's what we used for our big trip that we're about to take. Oh, yeah. You know, I use that exact same thing because yeah. I've read um, Tim Ferriss' books and, yeah. and that same thing. And I've actually done that, used that process with a lot of decisions that are a little bit risky. Yeah. And saying, well, you know, if you put your ego aside, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And just compartmentalizing that, understanding it, and being yeah. comfy with it. Yeah. And it works. You know, yeah. it works for me. Hmm. And um, and so you start the business, and it's it's a like, isn't this in like 2007 or something? 2007, yep. GFC time. Yeah. Yep. yep. Which um, was actually a great time to start a business, um, in, in my view, because you've got to remember we were the um, two man band, challenger brand, basically going out to agencies, um, sorry, clients who were using agencies and saying, hey, we could be a your runoff doing your production work. You know, we don't have to do the pretty stuff, but we'll do all the stuff that you need done. And so, Companies were looking for other options. They were looking to cut cost, um, and we were there prepared to work, you know, around the clock, and and we did, you know, and that's kind of how it worked. So I think timing's everything. I actually think that being at that time was perfect for what we were doing, and, yeah. it, and, it, and it worked pretty yeah, fast. I actually got a quote from you here. One thing we found in business is that every time there's a crisis, we've taken the attitude that it creates opportunity and a chance to recruit new people. We don't play it safe. Yeah, definitely, and we've done that. All the way through, you know, after the earthquakes, we recruited hard. We didn't need the resource, but we recruited hard. We lost our office half a dozen times. We were actually working in our, we were renting at this point in um, Eddington, and I think we might have, I don't know, 15, 20 staff working in our lounge, not much bigger than this. We like crammed everyone in. But we always looked at it as an opportunity. And if we didn't go and hire all those people at that time and keep pushing forward, um, we would never have won the SERA contract, which was a big contract at the time for the earthquake recovery. But because we had resourced, we were ready, probably didn't have, probably, you know, from an experience point of view, had no right winning that. Um, But we did. And that created opportunity to scale again and again and again. Yep. And that's kind of been the thing all the way through. It's, it's even, you know, of late with COVID, you know, we've gone from 40-odd staff to 80, and we've done that in the last two years. Yeah. So we've always looked at these things as opportunities and yeah. calculated risk, you know, which yeah. is cool. Well, whenever there's change, there's opportunity, right? Whenever, there's, whenever there's a swing somewhere, yeah. there's, there's the, you know, it's that sort of every action has an equal opposite. It's the same sort of thing, right? When, yeah. And, and, and um, you know, everyone, like you know, the earthquakes, for example, in Christchurch, is that, you know, everyone, it, it probably pumped more money into our local economy than almost anything Definitely. else in the history of the city. Absolutely. You know, and, yep. and everyone was, you know, petrified. Um, and, and for people that, that don't know from Christchurch, Sierra was the the, the yep. Christchurch earthquake recovery. That's right, yeah, the authority that was set up to sort of manage the rebuild, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah, and they yep. were, they had to market everything, right? Yep. And, and I Definitely. guess there's, there's probably only, I mean, I've... I'm thinking like there's probably not many companies in Christchurch in 2011 that decide they need to like triple, you know, invent a, this huge marketing budget. Yeah, definitely. And, and you won that sure. single contract just yeah. by being prepared. And, and it was a game changer, right? Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't, we weren't resourcing up um, because we knew that was coming. We were just sticking to a plan um, and, you know, being positive in a shitty situation, yeah. you know. Yeah, and, and you know, if we go back just a little bit, you're talking about how the sort of you know it was it was sort of growing sort of organically, and you're in, you know your, your living room and bits and pieces. But mm. like clearly, you had some like you went from a diesel mechanic to a marketing you mm-hmm. know company. Clearly, you must have had some sort of innate ability to understand and 
and do that back then as well. Yeah, well, I think I think early on the thing was is that you know, and I guess that's the thing with anyone's story, right? I mean, leaving school early, being self sufficient, you know, doing all those things. I learnt to deal with people, you know, really, really early on, um, and. Dealing with farmers is tough because they're, you know, they've got a lot of stuff going on, you know, weather events, they're never happy, whatever's going on, you know, it's a hard market to be Mm. in. So, you know, I learned a lot of people skills early, I think. And I guess what I was doing in the role at the start is I was a salesman, you know, so I was essentially selling um, design resources, you know, so Lisa was a self-taught designer. So I'd go out try to win design deals, bring them back, Lisa would design it, happy days, move on and on. And we just evolved the offering from there. So early on, it wasn't about marketing. Mm-hmm. It was about um, doing design, production and overflow type work. And we've just learnt and built skills on the way through and done, you know, the thing that's key to any successful business is we've hired good people all the way through mm-hmm. and hired skills that we haven't had. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of been the formula. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think... Um you know, what you're sort of saying about, um, what did you say that I, I just liked? Um, you said that, you know, you're, you're essentially a salesman when you're in your, in your mechanics job. Yep. And I think, you know, I spent four years selling gym memberships, you know, yep. when we first got back. And yeah. I think that, I think that sales is probably like, like if you, if, if you could learn one skill to help you in a commercial world, it yep. would be sales, I think. hundred yeah. percent. I think sales and that those people skills of how, how to deal with conflict and challenges, issues, you know, I think they're the, the big things for me. You know, I remember, you know, that job, um, you know, back, as a mechanic, you know, you're dealing with um, farmers in cropping season when, you know, their machine breaks down and they have to have it up and running urgently or they're going to lose a lot of money, you know. So it's the pressure, you know, it's understanding that stuff and it's understanding, you know, those levers or those things they care about and being able to relate to it. And I think that's a a good skill as well in business. It's the same thing. you know, with the agency now, if clients are coming to us because they've got a challenge, you know, whether it's um, marketing, sales, brand, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, they've, they've got to, they've got to get moving and they've got to make sure that their investment is utilised well, yeah. you know, so it's a similar thing. So there's a lot of, Chris, a lot of things that sort of translate yeah. if you dig deep enough in whatever yes. you're doing. Yeah, you know, yeah I absolutely. Think. I think sales can get a bad name as well. Like really it's your problem solving, right, for yep. someone, you're, you're providing a solution to a problem 100%. they have and only, you're only ever good at sales if you can provide a solution. That's right. Um, yep. But I think that, you know, uh, yeah, it gets a bad name sometimes sales, but I think even you know, even if you're applying for a job or trying to convince your daughter that they should brush their teeth before bed, like it's, it's the same <laughs> sort of stuff. Like yeah. It's just people and it's yep. trying to help 100%. them solve a problem they don't really know they have. That's yeah. it. Yep, yeah, definitely. And so, um, so you win the Sierra contract. Mm. That's sort of probably a bit of a, a needle mover for the for the company. Yeah, it definitely it definitely was. It was a crazy time. Lisa was actually I remember it so vividly because I actually did at Plato, and I'm uh, not talking this up, but I did a um, I did 32 hours straight to put that tender in place for Sarah to get that across the line. So Lisa had actually gone into hospital to have an operation. So usually, um, and anyone will tell you at Plato, I have these ideas and bits and pieces and then I give it to Lisa and Lisa makes everything happen in the background. Um, And that time I had to do it um, without her, you know, and so it was this crazy, so I'll never forget that period and what it actually meant for us after it. So it was, but it was a catalyst, you know, and it was probably a confidence thing. You know, we were going from doing, you know, small design work for, you know, small SME businesses um, to all of a sudden, 
you know, at that time, probably having one of the most important contracts in Christchurch. Yeah, without you know? a doubt. And so, Certainly you know, with the biggest budget, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. You know, it was yeah. good and, and, it, and it did change a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I bet. And so um, you you sat at your desk or in your office and you worked for 32 hours straight. Yeah, it was a, a big stretch, you know, because there was a, a lot of stuff to be done. I, like always in agencies, you leave um, some of these things to the last minute and it was one of those things, do we pull out, do we not? And I went through that, probably agonised over that, procrastinated about that for, you know, probably half of those hours and, yeah. and then put this thing together and, and thankfully, um, you know, it was enough. Tell me about the moment that you found out that you got it. Oh, it was incredible. You know, um, we had obviously the earthquakes that happened, so we'd lost our offices and our accountant actually had taken us in. So we were sharing an office with our accountant. And so, you know, I remember I was walking down the hallway and I still vividly remember it. And I pulled into this little room, saw the phone and, you know, shaking. And they're like, congratulations, you know, you won the Sarah contract. And I, yeah, I, I can still see the moment, but yeah. I was speechless, just like I was just then, pretty yeah. much. But I just couldn't believe it. And I actually sat in the room, in that meeting room for about a couple of minutes just to gather myself before I went and told Lisa. Yeah. And But it was a, one of those kiki moments. And yeah. there's been lots of those moments since. And yeah. they're the ones you want to hold on to because, yeah. you know, you know what they mean, yeah. which is cool. And it's like, I always think your memory must be the more vivid and the more emotionally connected to you are to it, to the, that moment you are, the more you tend to retain it. And yeah, that's obviously 100%. like what you talked about being yeah. a three and a half year old yep. when dad left, you remember that. 100%. And then you remember these this yeah, moment. It's life moments. Yeah, yeah, there's so mm. much emotion and Definitely. pressure and stress. and um, Yeah, it's like a relief or a release yeah. period sort of thing. Yeah, it's cool. a few fist pumps after yeah, that. A few fist it? pumps. It was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. And I think pretty quick it become too like that um, self-doubt that creeps in straight after that because you're like, man, are we ready for this? You know, can't afford to get this wrong. Um, it was a competitive pitch that went national, you know, to a lot of great agencies, you know. So it was one of those things. So we went through that of the panic of how are we going to make it work, you know. Um, but like anything, and I really do believe that, you, you say yes to everything and then you find a way to make it happen. Yeah. And, and that's what we've done. Yeah. Mm. Andy Ellis, one of my favourite, I had him on and one of had my favourite quote from him was he was taught that um, – they always say, don't bite off more than you can chew. And he said, he said I was taught, uh, bite off everything you can and chew fast as fuck. And that's that cool. Same, that sort cool? Of, same sort of analogy. I yeah. like that. Say, yes, cool. say yes to everything. <laughs> um, and so that's obviously a massive uh, mover. And then, you know, like you you go through COVID as well and, you know, yep. for all, for, for actually for everyone, regardless of whether you own a business yeah. or not, like you're, you're, you're in March 2020 and you're going, is yeah. this place going to exist in next year? <laughs> like, oh, man, it was so niggly at that time. You know, I remember um, Lisa and I, we we got two little girls and um, at that time we couldn't have children naturally. So we'd actually gone to America for fertility treatment to try to have our second child. And we were in America just as COVID was really kicking off over there. So we literally had our, I think Zoe was two at the time and we're at the fertility clinic trying to, you know, have our second child. And so we were driving around and we took Zoe to Disneyland and then a couple of days after that, COVID lockdown Disneyland. We went to Vegas for a couple of days, got out of there, shut down Vegas. I think we were the second to last flight to get back to New Zealand before they locked everything. So we were very, very fortunate. So we'd come back with the stress of not knowing whether Lisa was pregnant and, you know, obviously wasn't how we were planning that. We wanted Lisa to relax for a few weeks and yada, 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 straight back into this thing and, you know, seeing what was happening around the world. We knew that we were going to get locked down before we did. Um, we just saw it coming um, and we were in panic station for sure. You know, it was scary for everyone. Yeah, yeah it was scary. Lisa, you didn't know if it was going to 
was it the end of the world? Are we going to be here? Is, it, you know, yeah. is, is everything going to... I think for me, it was the worst part of business because usually you're taking calculated risk. You know, you're, you're controlling your destiny, but you had no control. And because you had limited information, you didn't know how to make decisions. Yeah. And that was the worst part. Like we were sitting there going, we've got this amazing team. Um, are we going to be able to keep everyone employed? And that's... And for us, that was a, a, you know, a big challenge. It was a hard thing to comprehend. Like, how are we going to deal with that? So we were, you know, like usual, you know, I was probably more the, um, Lisa's the optimist, you know, a bit more of a pessimist at times. Mm-hmm. So we're a great balance. But I was really preparing myself for difficult stuff, um, whereas Lisa was probably there saying, hey, we're going to be sweet. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were, so she yeah. was right again. Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, I don't know. P- pessimists may be right in the long run, but optimists have more fun finding out they're wrong. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's the same for us, you know. Like mm. I'm probably the, the more pessimistic one, and Sally's the the you know bright, bubbly sort of. Yeah, you know, everything will work out, and it generally yeah. does. Generally, generally does. does, and and that's why you know Lisa, you know, for me and as a partnership, I guess, um, whether you're looking wife or business partner, um, we're we're so tight, you know, and it's such a good fit because she's always the cheerleader, mm-hmm. and anytime you get self doubt, she knocks yeah. that away, and we move again, and happy yeah. happy day. What's that been like? Because you know, I'm the same. You know, I've worked with Sally for you know, the last seven years, but mm. you, like not many people do that, right? Like no. the thought of, of spending you know, nearly 24 hours a day with your partner yeah. is, is, is something that most people wouldn't even consider. Yeah, it's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because we always get asked that so all the way through from when we started, um, you know, any uh, business speech, anything I've ever done, I've been asked that question. And, you know, I think for me, like, it's actually the opposite. I couldn't imagine not doing it, you know, with Lisa. You know, I think for us, we've got such complementary skill set. Um, look, we've had our things over the years finding our place, but we've we've figured that out, you know, and, and we're very, very clear on what our skills are. Um, and Lisa's a real cheerleader to me. So Lisa will back me in anything that I choose to do. So if I say we're going to go and do this, she will jump on that bandwagon and make that happen, you know, mm-hmm. and it's kind of, so it's been a, it's a great give and take you know, yeah. um, type thing, but you know, touch wood, she hasn't got sick of me yet. Um, <laughs> I haven't got sick of her. It's, yeah. it's good, you know, and it just works. Yeah. Um, and I actually think it's an advantage. Yes. Um, personally, because you know, we we are always on together. You know, we we talk about stuff obviously at home. Mm. Um, Lisa's got this great skill of um, switching off from work and and being husband and wife. I carry work everywhere. It's mm. a weakness of mine, but I I do. I never turn off fully. But she is there. We have those conversations, and we can work through that stuff outside of your normal nine to five. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah, that is the hard part is trying to distinguish. You know, particularly once you have kids, right? Trying to, you know, they don't care if you know something's going on at work. <laughs> oh, they just sure. they just want you to be. In front of them and yep. um, yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's a it's an advantage as well. Sally and I now I think we actually met at work like twelve yep. years ago and we we worked together and then we travelled mm. and worked together and then we owned the businesses together. So Perfect. I've never known anything other actually. Um, and I yeah, I think it's an advantage. Not for everyone. I don't think everyone could do it. But no, definitely. You know, I mean, I've got friends that can't go on a two week trip with their um, <laughs> wives without problems. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, so but hey, look, you know, each to their own. You know, and but for us, it's it's been good. And and look, we've done um, other businesses and other things as well. And and you know, found our feet, you know, and who does what, and and it's been awesome. What other things have you tried? Uh, Well, we've got into property quite a bit. Um, You know, we, 
few years ago, you know, we've always been interested in, in investing and, and I guess part of our strategy early on was using Plato once it got established um, to being, I suppose, a cash flow generator to go and invest in property and other things. And we, mm. we did that. That was kind of our plan for a number of years and, and that worked really, really well. Um, through business, you meet a lot of people. In an agency, you meet business people from all, you know, every sector and whatnot. Mm. And that's one of the big advantages. So, you know, I met a good friend um, who was in the building game and I sort of said to him, you know, just off the cuff one day, look, you know, we're keen to do something in this space, you know, do some investment stuff and, you know, do some property, yada, yada, yada. You know, you're keen to do that. So we formed a partnership with him mm-hmm. and, you know, we started, you know, great timing with the, townhouse boom in the property yeah. market. So I started doing, you know, multi-dwelling buildings and bits mm. and pieces and and that's been awesome, investing into some commercial buildings mm-hmm. and doing that. So I started to get into that space and I realised pretty quick that, you know, I'm good at spotting opportunities, um, but I was taking my eye off the ball at Plato too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the idea was, you know, Lisa had a real interest in that stuff. She loves finance loves doing those deals, property. So she's really gone into that space, you know, with Aaron and Joe, our partners, and mm-hmm. and is doing more of that now, which is cool. And, and I'm 100% focused now on the agency and, and what we're going to do with it over the next five to 10 years. Yeah. Mm. So what is the plan for the next five to 10 years of it? Yeah, I mean, for me, I always need something to chase, you know. So I want, you know, I see massive potential in, in the agency and where we're at at the moment. You know, we're around 80 staff, um, in Christchurch here, we've got big plans to, I suppose, expand further. We definitely want to go into acquisition and start to look at buying complementary businesses, vertical integration, that type of thing. Um, Where it ends up, who knows, but I certainly, I definitely know that we're not at the finish line. And for the next 10 years for me, I want to build something um, that we're really, really proud of at the end of. And and, you know, I was asked, you know, we've had been approached in the past to sell to you know, like agency networks and because I, I guess the big networks of the world gobble up agencies, that's kind of the model and move out. But, you know, I've been very clear with our team and, and Lisa and I are aligned to this that we'll never sell to a network. You know, we will become one potentially, but we're not going to sell to one. So mm. our idea is to scale the business and look for partnerships and opportunities now off the back of that. And the first stage there, I guess, is I've brought in a GM, I've brought in a CEO, um, we've got a good management structure. And that's really to allow Lisa and myself to look at other opportunities that can complement what we're doing and maybe move more into the acquisition space and, yep. and look to scale the business beyond what we're doing in Christchurch. Yeah. Mm. What's your superpower? You know, like, I don't mean that, I mean that very specifically, <laughs> like, mm. you know, like Richard Branson, for example, his superpower isn't running an airline. Yeah. But he's very good at it, you know, but, but he has, whether it's branding or marketing, whatever he does, the, yeah. whether he's risk, you know, a risk taker or whatever it is, he's, he's done very well. He's built multiple billion dollar companies and I wouldn't say any of those are in specifically in his yep. expertise, but like what's yours? Yeah, look, I think I'm, look, I'm handy at the skill stuff that we do as an agent. I'm handy at brand strategy, marketing, all that stuff. I'm a real, I'd like to think I'm a real commercial guy. So I'm good at thinking and understanding business. And I think that's been a really good thing for the agency because I've taken a real commercial bend in how I partner with clients and whatnot. And that's opened a lot of opportunities for us. So for my, my thing, I think it's probably more that 
It's seeing opportunity, you know, it's um, seeing commercial opportunity and how to commercialise an idea. I think that's where I've got strengths and I haven't really scratched the surface of that yet. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done a bit of it and we've had some success with it. But I think it's really that um, broader commercial business thinking space is where I'm, that's where my head's at, I guess. Mm. Do you have any examples that you're able to share that that maybe a specific scenario where you've you've, you've, you've seen something and gone, I think we could swip this around and do this and and you've done that and it's worked? I mean, look, I've done that for clients. One good example with a client without giving their names away, you know, it was a, a client who started off very, very small with us. Um, it was a client that was maybe doing, you know, six or seven million turnover. They're at over 30 now. Um, the partnership with them, they were basically in a space um, doing manufacturing and retail. And I saw an opportunity for them to do that through e-commerce as well and create a whole other business division, separate brand, completely different offering that didn't compete with what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to put that forward for them and turn that into a really successful business now that we still partner with, you know, stuff like that. So it's looking at things, I guess, where, you know, someone might be doing well, but being able to you know, raise the sights and see something else that could plug in or complement. It's yeah. that type of thing. And I guess, you know, for our own stuff, you know, talking about setting up property businesses and stuff like that, you know, I saw that opportunity pretty early on, you know, that what that could be. I knew that we didn't have the skills to do it. So I guess the other key thing was being able to find the right talent mm-hmm. to be able to push the business forward. And I think I've been good at that um, at Plato, been good at that with the property thing and understanding that, you know, know know your strengths and when to bring in key people Mm -hmm. and people that can actually drive it and move it forward. And I think that's another key area. If you want to scale, you've got to be able to do that. You've got to be able to identify and give people opportunity and, and get out of their way. Yeah. Yeah, I think the vision thing is, you know, it's kind of what you said, really, that you've got, yeah. you can see sort of ideas. And, that's, you know, if you look at someone like Richard Branson, for example, it's probably the same thing. He saw opportunities yeah. in markets and and then and then obviously you've got a, a tolerance for risk, which is probably, you know, when you're talking about a client's business, it's not so there. But, you know, to, yeah. to see something and then have a swing in it, there's often an element of risk in it. Yeah, definitely risk. I mean, look, we've done, here's a number of things we're doing at the moment that has a bit of risk. You know, we're looking at uh, setting up shared services, business um overseas and looking at acquiring businesses to feed sales into that business. And so there's things that we're doing there as well to broaden, I guess, our reach. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of risk um, with it, but there's a massive upside and a big opportunity, not just from a business point of view, but also an opportunity uh, to create pathways for key people. Mm Because that's the thing, you know, we're going through a bit of a rebrand at the moment for Plato and without giving it away yet, you know, part of our key thing for our vision and, you know, what we can cement to our team or present to our team is that, you know, working with us, you could have the opportunity to run one of our businesses, you know, you can go and do these things, you know, so creating those pathways to say, whatever you want to do, whether it's X, Y, Z, you can make it happen. And that's been part of our mantra as an yeah. agency. It's it's on big neon lights on our wall, um, what make is, it happen. Is it? Um, and it's something Lisa and I have had in the business since we started. It was one of our mottos that we've carried on. And, mm-hmm. and we really believe in that, you know, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to be, you can make it happen. You've just yeah. got to um, commit to it and yeah. be prepared to go all in. Yeah, because that's, you know, it's another challenge that you have when your business is growing, right, is that, you know, is that when it starts doing well, you know, you've got staff and team members that, mm. that look at it and go, well, you know, like I feel like I'm doing a, a really good job and I'm yep. I'm doing a lot of the work and, you know, not necessarily it's transparent exactly what you're doing. Yeah. 
and it sort of can be like, you know, they see you get a new car or go out for lunch or whatever it is and they yep. sort of sit there and they're like, man, like, I feel like I'm doing all the work for this guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Have for you sure. ever felt that or, or the way yeah. – it sounds like the way you're doing it is kind of like we're all on this ride together and – yeah, look, I've definitely been through that in the past. I used to be really self-conscious of stuff like that. I've come to terms with it now a, a lot more. And I think the thing is, is, you know, and I'd hope, you know, I'm pretty confident in saying this, but um, I would be pretty sure that our team would understand how much we've worked and what we've done, what risk we've taken and whatnot. And we've got a team that are very, very loyal um, and aligned to Lisa and I, you know, which is really, really cool. So I feel pretty comfy with that stuff now. I guess the trick is now is we've had a level of success. It's how do you pass that torch on whilst still driving it, you know, and making sure that others can have similar success whilst staying in a business model like ours, you know. And I truly believe they can. You know, we've got so much opportunity um, ahead of us with, scaling the business, the opportunity, um, you know, whatever people want to do, I feel that we're the vehicle for that and I feel they'll have more um, opportunity by doing that with us than trying to do it on their own. Yeah. Uh, and you talked about sort of the need to, you know, hire and retain, you know, good talent. And yep. often that can be a leader. That can almost be a, a, a job that's yeah. you know, nearly all you're trying to do is just keep and, and find great talent. 100%. And it's it's always been, like, we're lucky to have scale now where we've got CEO, GM, we've got a new people and culture manager. So we've got a bit of structure around that now. It's a really hard thing as an owner to let go of some of that because mm. I've always been a big culture man. You know, I love my team. I always have. And I've always been at the cold front. I'm, I'm not the owner who, you know, turns up at nine o'clock and leaves at five. Like I've always led by example. I've always been on the tools, you know, all the way through. So mm. detaching yourself from that a little bit has been pretty hard. But, you know, we've got, I think around 23 people who have been there over five years. We've got people who have been there, you know, for well over 10 years now. Um, And we've only been going for 16. So we've done a pretty good job of retaining the key talent on the way through, which Mm. has been awesome, you know. And But you you can't take that for granted either, Mm. you know. And so, you know, a lot of the stuff we're doing around and what we do, I guess, with our culture and trying to keep people engaged. We spend a lot of money, a lot of time and a lot of effort to get that right. And it will never be perfect, but we're constantly on it. And we're going through another iteration of that at the moment, which is cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, business is just people, right? And we talked about that earlier, you know, whether on the customer side or you've, you know, you've you know, you work well alongside them, and it's um, you know, it's it's a shame when yeah, you because know, you often see people that are brilliant at, at certain things, but their ability to retain and, and hire yeah. good talent and Definitely. and let go of things as well, because I think that's one of the bigger challenges as well is when you start to grow, is that you know when you're at the start, like when it's you and Lisa in your living room, you are literally doing everything right, everything, and yeah. and most small business owners can relate to that. You know, you're the accountant yeah. one minute, next minute you're the sales manager, <laughs> next minute, yeah. you know, you're 100%. the you know the customer service rep. You know, you're sort of doing everything and. Yeah. Um, it sounds easy when you say, well, just do less, but we found it a challenge to sort of be like, well, you've got to sort of, if you hire that one person to do that that role, you've got to sort of give them autonomy to do it how they want and recognise that they're not going to do it how you did it. Yeah, 100%. And come to terms with just because it's not like how you do it doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. You know, and look, we've been, I've always been big on that. I think people learn by making mistakes. And as long as you're, creating that environment or empowering them to have a crack. And we're talking, you know, even before today in this uh, podcast, you know, about 
two hours ago, I was having that exact conversation with our whole leadership group, like empower people to have a crack. If they fall over, pick them up, learn from it, move again. And it's a key thing because we can't scale now without our middle leadership mm-hmm. actually driving the business forward. Um, so for, for us, it's a key part of our strategy. So you've got you've to be prepared for that, which is yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. No, I actually I read a great quote. I, heard, I was listening to a podcast last night on the plane, and it's not wasn't you that said it, but it was a uh, it was it was related to something you just said, um, and it was about when you talked about the vision and sort of taking the time and um, and sort of being willing to take the risk. And it said the cost and the cost is often not being wrong, but being slow. And you know when you talked about timing right. and stuff, and 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 some of those Definitely. some of those times in in your career when there's sort of been a pivotal moment, and you know you sort of gone, oh well, should we wait and hold off and see what yeah. happens? And and I think that's the cost is not being wrong, but being slow. Yeah, it's a great quote. You know, we we I say quite a bit of time to the guys as well. Very similar thing. You know, there's only one thing wrong, uh, worse than a wrong decision, and that's making no decision. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's the same sort of vein as that, and it's so true. You know, you learn from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the key thing is, is that business. You know, it's never standing still. So you've got to be making calls. Yeah. Um, and of course, you want to get most of them right. Mm-hmm. But if you make enough of them, you're going to get the odd one wrong. Yeah. You know, and we've made lots of wrong calls over the years. Yeah. But We've learned from them, um, yeah. and and it's actually it just it fills your war chest up, you know. So yeah. next time, um, you know, and you can pass that on to your clients and whatnot. You know, I sit on a few boards, mm-hmm. so I'm able to use those things um, to have influence and to help, hopefully, avoid people making the same ones. Yeah. You know, because they're really obvious. Um, in hindsight, in hindsight, but not yeah, at yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I've, I've said that as well. I, th- I think that sort of, you know, at the time you're often sort of like, you know, why did this have to happen to me? But when you get graced with things like wisdom and hindsight and experience, you look back and you actually realise that the shitty things that you overcame have actually made who you are now. Oh, definitely. They're almost like a, a plate of armour you get to add oh, to your... Definitely. I totally agree, you know, and I think that's the same with, you know, environment. Even if you're going back to growing up, you know, a negative environment can be as beneficial as a really good environment growing up, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I mean by that is that you know, if you're in a negative environment, you can look at it and say, well, that can be a motivation not to end up there or to do something different, Mm -hmm. you know. And for me, I've always looked at it that way, you know. So I think you can take the good out of every situation, I guess is, you know, how I sort of look at those things. That's a great point. And I think that um, literally yesterday I was listening to a podcast and they talked about that and it was they did a test with some rats and um, they they didn't feed them and then they put them in a, a, you know, confined environment and they put – Food at one end, and they yeah. put a they put a, um, a pressure measure on their tail, so it would feel how far how hard yeah. they were pulling towards the food when they were starving. So cool. And then they put in, and so they measured that, and then they put in um, the smell of a predator behind them. Yeah. And so they and what they learned was that they were pulling far harder when they were trying huh. to get away from a predator than they were trying to get to food, even though they That's were starving. Incredible. And so the the sort of, I guess, the lesson from that was that, um, you know, which is exactly what you just said, sometimes the desire to know where you don't want to end up is more powerful than the attraction of where you Definitely. do want to end up. Yeah, 100%. I really do believe that, for sure. Yeah, and do you yeah. think, you know, do you think that, you know, you grew up in a, you know, you've, you've said in, you know, it was probably lower than middle class and, you know, working yeah. class family, very similar to most people. And, yeah. you know, you, you clearly didn't have a relationship with your dad and if it was, it was probably terrible by the sound of what you told mm-hmm. me at least. Yeah. Um, 
do you think that has led to you being so driven in the, the attitude and yeah definitely I mean definitely um, for sure you know wanting to be successful and you know I guess I've always looked at it that I've wanted to create um, opportunity for my family now you know so even before we had kids that was a big motivator you know I wanted to be successful wanted to give our kids opportunity um, and wanted to do it quite different you know so that's always been a, a big motivator and especially now as a dad even more so um, because you you know, um, if you compare that story that I was talking to you, mm. you know, three and a half or whatnot, um, obviously being a dad's the most important job, you know, especially for me with two little girls. So definitely I think it has influence and it shapes the way that you look at things mm. and how you want to do things for sure. You know, it has yeah. for me. It's been probably the biggest thing. Um, it's actually probably been the biggest challenge, you know, becoming a dad whilst having the business and making sure you're getting that right. Mm. How um, have you got it right? Do you think you've got it right? Uh, no, I'm not perfect. Definitely not. Like I, you know, I definitely take it serious, you know, as in being a dad. Um, you know, my girls are my motivation, you know, um, and I suppose that's everyone would say that, but, um, you know, they are. And before I had the girls, you know, I was working constantly 80 hour weeks, you know, without exception, always. Um, and I've had to learn to change that now, you know, especially when Zoe was born and getting a bit more balance, you know, I still work really, really hard. But I do make times to do those little things, you know. So, you know, I'll often go and pick Zoe up from preschool. It's only 10 minutes out of the office, but just seeing her, you know, whatever, those little things. And and earning the the opportunity, I guess, to, you know, next week I'm leaving the country for mm. three months mm. to go away with my wife and, and two kids out of the business to spend time, quality time. So, yeah, it's been a – there's still, you know – I find it hard to switch off from work at home. I do. I'm guilty of that. But I always try to be present and always try to, you know, make sure you're active and, and doing things that, you know, hopefully your kids will remember when you when they grow up. Yeah. So, um, um, Sally's dad I had on the podcast, and I mentioned it before, but um, he said with kids, because I asked him about sort of parenting, and he said um, you can't force quality time. He said quality falls out of quantity. Yep. You know, you, you can't mm-hmm. you can't say, like, I've got – I've got six and a half minutes now. Yeah, like, yeah. let's do some 100%. quality time. Yeah. You've got to do the pickup every day. And yep. then it's the one day that you do the pickup that something's hilarious and, and you just don't stop definitely. laughing with them. And it, yeah. it's that kind of small, consistent thing is done often. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it is, you know, like, I think a lot of ambitious parents, it's a, it's a struggle to try and, because on one hand, you're like, well, I'm trying to be ambitious so that I can create a future that allows you to do things that you want and then at the same yep. time you're like, but at the moment all you really want is, yeah. is, is me right in front of it's you. It's tricky. And, it yeah. is tricky. And also, you know, I, I mean, like I know one day they're not going to want to spend time with me. Yeah, you know, yeah like, definitely. And, and you're like, well. So true. And now all they want is you. We'd like you know? to think that they will, but <laughs> yeah. maybe not. Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, mm. and – Oh, it was a great Jordan Peterson video recently I saw, and he said that yeah, it's a child is your opportunity to have the best relationship you'll ever have with a human being, yeah. and you miss it at Definitely. your peril, you know. And yeah. it's um, and all they, they want nothing other than time, and trying to balance that into the greater scheme of things is is difficult, and um, you know sometimes you don't do it right, and sometimes you do, and yeah, that's it, right? I think um, you know for me, I think I think the big thing is is that what I've learned over because if I look at it. You know, uh, Zoe's four, 
poppies too. You know, our most successful time in business has been in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. you know, and that's been with kids. So you can do both. Yep. And I think that's a, it's been a lesson. I think when we, you know, first had our, our firstborn, I was like, you've got to choose. It's one or the other. It's mm-hmm. your ambition, it's your drive, or it's being a good dad. And it took me a few months to figure that out, you know, that you can actually do both. And, you know, we're, we're fortunate with our situation, you know, Lisa and I and our dynamic with work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're able to manage both. Um, you know, we have a nanny who's fantastic um, and a key part of our family unit. So that's also a good thing and, and helpful yeah. for us. So, you know, I think you can do both. You've just got to learn to change some habits. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Are you conscious of, like, you know, we, we just talked about, you know, knowing what you're running from is a powerful thing. Are you conscious of, you know, like you grew up in a tough environment and it's created the armour that we just talked about, it's created yep. the drive that we just talked about. Like, are you conscious now of, like, how do I make sure that, you know, yes, I'm doing everything I can for my kids, but at the same yeah. time I want them to grow up with the same 100%. desire, whatever they want to do, whether it's business yep. or they want to be an ice cream truck driver, <laughs> it doesn't matter, but you want yeah. them to have some desire and yeah. it's trying to find that balance of yeah giving them the stuff that you want to now because Definitely. you're in a position to, but at the same time making sure they still yeah. develop those. I reckon that's going to be the the tough thing to sort of um, figure out all the way through because I think about that all the time, um, all the time, you know, because I'm aware that our two girls are going to have a very, very different life than, than what I had and that's a great thing. I'm very wary of not um, raising spoiled brats as well, so mm. I want to make sure that doesn't happen. But I guess my thing is is that, you know, um, and Lisa and I have talked about this, and, and my whole thing with family at the moment is spoil your wife and be present for your kids. And for me, um, that's the sort of nod to the fact that it's not about money um, and tangible things for the kids, it's about mm. time yeah. and doing those things and experiences, you know, and you know, I just want to be supportive. I think, you know, I'd love to think that our girls will be, you know, entrepreneurs and into business and take on the world. Mm. But ultimately, it's about them being happy and passionate, you know. And yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with providing opportunity or an easier pathway for children. Mm. Um, but you just got to make sure they understand the value of money yeah. um, and not to be guilty of that as well. Um, and, and just be good people, be good humans. It's, yeah. it's what you want to bring up. Yeah. Oh, you did right. And then like, hey, if, if anyone had figured out the answer, you know, we'd, we'd know it. But there isn't, yeah. you know, it's, it's about sort of doing yeah. your best. And, it's awareness, eh? Yeah. It's just awareness it of it awareness, and yeah. having the right conversations. Yeah. And, and I think your intent as well. I, I think that, you know, over a long enough period of time, you know, even if you're doing something that's maybe not right right now, if someone's intent is genuinely there, and kids know that, like they know if your intent is to, yeah. you know, and I think that, you know, even if it's tough, they might recognise that, you know, there is, maybe not at the time, but their intent there is good. Yeah. You know, and I yeah, think definitely. That that's agree. the main thing, yeah. Mm. Um, I want to get like hyper-specific for a minute just because yep. people are going to listen to this because um, they know what you do and they know the yep. success you've had. And um, obviously, you know, you've created sort of a, a marketing agency. You, you, you've obviously talked about a lot of work around strategy and stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people that listen to this are business owners themselves, aspiring mm-hmm. business people. Um, I want to talk a little bit about sort of um, – building a brand, I guess, and um, that probably encompasses, you know, marketing and strategy and yep. stuff as well. And what is the importance of building a brand and what sort of return does that have to a business? Because it's not always obvious immediately. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, I think there's a, I think it's defining what brand is as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people have different perceptions about, about brand, and but it's actually an all-encompassing thing, you know, and I think if you took a 
I don't know, business A who had, you know, great service or great product, r- great operational, you know, run well, but had no investment in brand and whatnot. And you had the same business on the other side that had brand. It's kind of like the piece that sits over the top. It makes you, the way I look at it is it's also an attraction thing, not just from a client and trust perspective, but it's actually as much about attracting talent and brand plays a big part in that. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So when you're a small business and you're sort of only got a few people, that may not be the key driver of getting, going through a branding process. But I think about having clarity in brand strategy, clarity in vision and what you're going after and aligning that to your business objectives is mission critical, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's the key piece. And I don't feel, I feel people feel branding as things like, you know, logo and signage and whatnot, but it's actually much more. It's about what your customers think about you and it's, you know, it's every touch point, you Mm -hmm. know, and I think understanding that early on and actually investing in that will pay dividends down the line. Yeah. You know, I think that's a big thing. It's just understanding that it's a not a project that's a set and forget. It's yeah. actually a, a living thing. An evolving thing. An evolving thing, yeah. yeah. And, and if you started a, a business from scratch today and you wanted to build a brand around it, what are the sort of key things that you would be trying to do off the bat? Yeah, well, I think the thing, it's like anything, um, branding to me is all around positioning. So, you know, you've got to think if you're getting into whatever the space is, the gym space or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be, it's about looking at competition, what their offering is and where you can fit. And you've got some businesses, I guess, you know, in professional services where it's very hard to differentiate because everyone says, you know, we've got the best service and the most expertise, Mm -hmm. whatever. But sometimes branding is about distinction, you know, and it's about how you tell that story and, you know, how you actually execute on brand is is quite different. So I guess it's, it's different in every scenario, but I think positioning for me is the big thing. It's understanding the customer, the opportunity, and then making sure that positioning is clear, you know, for me. And I think that's where it really begins. Yeah. And I know you said it's different for everyone, but I'm going to drill down even further here. So like, you know, so positioning is is knowing where your product or service sits in the market. Yeah, where you fit. Yep. That's critical. Who your customers are. Yep. So who your customers are, um, where they are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, geographic footprint's part of positioning, Mm -hmm. um, who they are, how many of them are there. You Mm -hmm. know, it's all those things because you're trying to build a a picture of what the opportunity is, Mm -hmm. I think. And I think that's what, you know, for me, having clear positioning defines a lot of those things. And it's part of any good brand strategy is having solid foundations, so Mm -hmm. clear vision, values, um, all your benefits, everything nailed down, and then who you're going after. I think they're the two parts before you get into visuals and all those types of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm. Who's doing something like, you know, say outside of your clients that you're you're advising, when you, you know, you must look at the world with a different lens to most people Mm -hmm. because of the way, you know, the way you think and what you do. Who's doing something at the moment that you think's great or exciting or or, or pushing the boundaries? Like in local type No, anything, anything, international, anything. Like, I mean, if if more Mm. more people that know it, the better would be. You know, yeah. is there is there a, a product or a service that you're sort of watching and going, man, like that's that's a cool way to do it. I I'd never thought of that. Or someone that's yeah. Um, I think the obvious ones, if you look at New Zealand and whatnot, um, I think looking at the ones who I think Shearsies have done an amazing job. I mm. think it's a fantastic brand. Found a dinosaur, um, you know, market, and then democratized it and made it easy for everyone, mm-hmm. you know, accessibility, all those types of things. I think they've done a fantastic job in that space. And there's lots of, I suppose, examples of um, 
you know, businesses who are disrupting through technology and whatnot, they're mm. the obvious ones that you can point to that mm. people would understand. Yeah. I think things like that, absolutely. Um, yeah, but thinking about more traditionally, it's probably, it's one of those ones you get put on the spot and you mm. can't think yeah. of who it, would, who it would be. But, I mean, there's so many... Yeah, there's so many examples, um, but I think those ones who are in the disruption space are the ones that come to mind, mm. you know, for sure. I think what Zero did to accounting and yeah, whatnot yeah. as a brand, yeah. you know, you always look at that. Um, you know, I think they were spending 90% of their um, revenue on marketing and brand and whatnot, really? you know, um, so deliberately running at a loss to grow scale, mm-hmm. you know, and, and look what they've done yeah. you know, over the last yeah. 10 years or whatever it is. Yeah. I've obviously had a bit longer to think about this than I gave you then, but mm. one thing that I re- I've liked or, or watched recently was the um, the drive to survive the Formula One thing. Oh, I love it. And it's awesome. Yeah, and but the you know it's a great show and very entertaining. But the the bigger picture was what appealed to me was that it was actually a marketing uh, Formula One when it was acquired yep. off. I think Bernie Ecclestone sold it yep. and they acquired it to that. Um, the, I don't know who it was, a larger company. Um, the the one thing they noted was that it wasn't in the US market so they yep. couldn't sell any advertising to US um, products or services mm-hmm. and so they looked for opportunities to be able to um, you know how do we break the US market and like, no one would have thought of let's do a Netflix show right yeah. uh, you know like, like it's you know, would have been like right, let's do, try and do some more races in, in the States and stuff but they went backwards and they actually they actually get, or from what I've read, as long as it's true, they get royalty from Netflix. So that's, it's been it's been the biggest needle mover for Formula One Unreal, history. That's so cool. And they're getting paid for it. Like what that's a awesome. what a strategy. Whoever sat around the table and came up with pretty you know, clever. Yeah, it is pretty. And clever. Like, look at it. Like all of I mean. Three years ago, if you'd asked me about Formula One, I sort of would have said Michael Schumacher or yeah, Lewis yeah, Hamilton, a couple same. of names, you know. <laughs> yeah. And now all of a sudden, you know, right you're into like, it. yeah, you're like Sunday or Monday morning. I wake up and I check my <laughs> see what happened yeah. last night, and it's pretty cool. Um, and what a what is a cool disruptive way to achieve a result. And and now they're in. I've got one in Vegas this year, I think. Yeah, I'd love to go there. <laughs> Vegas is my favourite place in the world, so that would be awesome. One year, I will definitely have to do that. Yeah, I I, I saw something the other day, and they were talking about the. The cost variance of a of a, a a unit in Vegas on the strip that can see the strip mm. like at a non at a normal time versus when oh, the right. when the Formula the One is like, oh, crazy. It was like twenty x, you know. Oh my god! Yeah, it was you know for for a room that can see it. But um, imagine, you know if you you obviously been to Vegas, imagine watching those cars do three hundred kilometers down there. Unbelievable! Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, for sure. What about a project that you've worked on that 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 you know you look back on as being something that might not have been the biggest, you know, earner or the biggest, you know, needle mover for the particular company, but is there a mm. project that you look back and go like, that was really cool, I'm really excited the way that came together and, and evolved? Um, yeah, there's been a few for different reasons. You know, I think um, probably some of the stuff that was well known many years ago um, was when we did all the MyTax rebranding. They were one of the tax refund companies. I don't know if you remember, there was, I think there was, uh, what was it called? Woohoo, I think mm-hmm. was one of them. And they sort of had the market, dominated the market. And we ended up working with this other provider. Um, and, you know, we did a lot of pretty crazy stuff, TVC stuff, which was quite new to us at the time. Um, so I guess having the media backing behind it, you know, it was a national thing. Um, it was well recognised and whatnot. That was probably one of the ones where, you know, you'd be sitting at home at night watching TV and all your ads would be coming up that you were doing. Mm-hmm. That, you know, because most of our clients weren't on TVC. Most yeah. of it was around digital and digital yeah. channel marketing and stuff like that. So seeing stuff like that, I suppose, and, 
that you know um, linear TV space was was pretty pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, you sort of look and go, oh, that's awesome. You yeah, know, yeah. it was good. I did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, you know you've. We, when, we, when we met, you told me that we've got a mutual friend who sort of encouraged you into, uh, I must say encouraged uh, in air quotes, but encouraged you <laughs> into sort of exercising and running. Yes, and, and running. You know, yeah. you're, you know, now you're into saunas and ice yeah. baths and all that kind of stuff. Is Definitely. that something that has only happened recently? Yeah, well, I've always been, uh, I always go to the gym. I've always trained, um, always been into that. But I guess over the last couple of years, I'm getting older, Maddie. so I'm 41 now, so... I couldn't do the same stuff at the gym all the time. You know, I've got a lot of rugby injuries, um, lifting heavy, heavy weights and whatnot. And I guess I've just sort of started to, I guess I've got a, a beautiful family, I've got a successful business. And the other piece is, is that if you don't have your health, then what's the point, right? So started to get into running, being very aware of, um, you know, as you say, I do saunas and plunge pools and even just healthy eating, all that type of stuff. So probably say in the last year I've really ramped up in that space and probably put more of a focus on health mm-hmm. um, in general. And so, yeah, very, very active. Um, I go to the gym a few days every week. I run a few times every week, do all that type of stuff, have a routine. I'm very routine driven. Mm-hmm. So not a, I'm an active relaxer. I can't sit down and just chill out on the couch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Drives Lisa insane. But, you know, for me, I get home at a good time, I play with the kids, dinner with the kids, put the kids to bed, then I go to the gym or I go running at night. And, mm. and that's just, yeah, it's how I get by. It's what I do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, it's a tough lesson to learn if you don't learn it before it's too late, the, the importance of well-being, right? Like yep. it's, it's like um, I heard it described once as being it's the only place you ever get to live. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and it's like, and if it was if it was your house, right, and yeah. you were like, this is the only house you're ever going to get to live in your entire life. Like you yeah. would look after it, right? Look after it, for sure. Um, and it's, um, you know, it's not easy because, you know, it's generally easier to do the the opposite. But the yeah. um, I was I came across this idea once. Of, it, was, it was called Choose Your Pain. Mm-hmm. And it was like, um, you know, getting fit and healthy is really hard. Yeah. But so is being unfit and unhealthy 100% you know and and, um you know and the same thing with um you know even money it's like well being successful and and wealthy is is a hard thing to do but being poor and broke is really hard as well absolutely it's a good way to look at it you know and I think the the running stuff and all that for me and that person who pushed me that we have a mutual Mm -hmm. friend um that was because you know, I'm quite cocky as well. So I like a challenge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm like, we're going to race and I'm going to kick your ass yeah, sort of thing. She's a fast runner. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but I knew I was kidding myself at the time that I wasn't going to be able to win. Yep. But since I've got fit, she has pulled out of all of my challenges. <laughs> so, you know, I think I can hang now. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see yeah. what happens. Yeah. And <laughs> as much as it's about sort of looking after your, your body and the place you have to live, I think one thing that I've recognised maybe in the last like three months is that particularly with kids, but your quality, like the, the results you get in life all actually come down to the energy you have. Like yep. everything comes back to your energy. Like like running a good business takes energy. Yep. Being a good dad takes energy. Being a good partner, a friend, son takes energy. Yep. And and if you don't have much energy, it's really hard to do those things. And and like 
you know, on a on a Sunday, we call them family days, you know, family day. It's like if I'm, you know, if I've had a massive, you know, gone out and had a big night or I'm hungover or anything, it's like I've got no energy and the kids are yeah. like, let's do something. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm a, a, you know, whether it's a, I'm not a bad dad, I don't think, but, you know, like you're like, I don't have, you know, it's, it all comes down to things to try yeah. and get you to have more energy. And that's something that I've been really sort of focusing on. Like I bought a, one of these rings that yeah. um, measures my sleep. Yeah, I've and got so, the, the, oh, the work band. Work band. Yeah, 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 same yeah. thing. Yeah, and so I'm, I was become. I mm. didn't think it would change my behaviour, but it really has. Same. You know, like it really has changed Definitely. the way I, the importance I've placed on rest because you, can, I can see yeah. in in actual data in front of me how much worse off I am if I don't sleep. And, Definitely. Um, I stopped drinking like yeah. two and a half months ago, which is something I haven't done since I was about fifteen. Awesome. Probably. You How's know? that going? It's um, it's good. It's like a. I mean, I love a beer as much as anyone else and you know, I love whiskey as well and um, it's been, you know, I'm not trying to preach it to anyone but it's been quite, um, yeah, it's the the only positive effect of alcohol is a social influence, you know, you yeah. have fun, right? And, yeah, like the, sure. and, and um, you know, like I don't think I'll do it forever but, you know, it's just trying to find a balance. It's, it's been quite eye-opening for me stopping and recognising that it was yep. actually a big re- reducer of my energy levels. Definitely. Well, it's funny, because eh, Lisa and I, one thing, we're routine people, so every Thursday night we have a date night. Mm-hmm. So we are lucky enough that we have a nanny who will work late on a Thursday. So we always go out together and we're creatures of habit. We go to the same bar and we'll um, buy a bottle of bubbles and we'll talk about the week, work, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that, um, you know, it's probably our favourite time of the week. It's, it's cool and, you know, but it's funny going back to the um, wristbands and the whoop band thing is that, that night, the next morning, you see the effect mm-hmm. um, on your sleep and all those things. So you're very aware of what alcohol does do to your energy mm. the next day. Yeah. So I wouldn't go as far as saying that I will stop doing that because I love my yeah. bubbles time with the yeah. wife. It's great. Um, but I'm not a big drinker. You know, I, I'm i definitely um, – I'm – I try to maximise my time, mm-hmm. whatever I do, yes, you know, yeah. and energy is super important to me and mm-hmm. that's why I do run and go to the gym and stuff because it actually motivates, it actually yeah. gives me more energy. Yeah. Um, I used to like sit at the office until 10, 11 o'clock at night procrastinating, trying to get through work. But if I leave work at 6, go and run 15Ks or whatnot, I can work after that in one hour and just smash it out because my head's yeah. clear. And yeah. So you got to, I guess for me, it's, you know, how you, how you get the best out of yourself. Yeah, and yeah. finding that routine. Yeah, yeah. And so, ha- what you know, what else has helped you be sort of hyper productive in, in those times? Because you know, exercising is a really good one. But yep. like, yeah, you know, a lot of your, you know, anyone's success comes down to you know how efficient you can be with the yep. time you have, right? And so, Definitely. is there anything else that you've noticed that's that's helped you be more productive and achieve more and less all at the same time? Um, yeah, do you know, I think a couple of things. I think letting go a lot of the day-to-day work and actually putting myself in a position to think it's that quintessential thing of what people say of, you know, work on the business rather than being in it. So having the headspace of, you know, trusting people to take over. So I've got a bit more time for reflection um, and to think bigger picture. That's made a big difference. I'm a, I love learning. Yes, yeah, so I love podcasts. I love reading audiobooks, all that stuff. So when I run, I listen to podcasts and I take in information when I'm running. So I don't need music or whatnot to keep myself going. So if I run for an hour and a half, I will remember everything I've learned from that podcast or audiobook, you know. So it's, it's how my mind, I guess, works. So I think it's just taking the time and understanding that you're, you're never going to know everything, but you've got to be open to new ideas. Mm-hmm. And I like to, I don't know, 
expose myself to lots of different scenarios and mm. situations and whatnot to, I guess, you know, broaden my thinking, you know. Mm. Lisa and I went to America recently in February to a conference and it just blew our mind again, you know, just being out of New Zealand, big world, thinking about bigger opportunity. And it's amazing what it does for you, getting out of the uh, comfortable environment to somewhere else and, mm. and, you know, seeing or hearing from people who are doing amazing things. Mm. I think for me that's a, a, a key part of it, yeah, yeah. for me. Yeah, the um, you know becoming a big fish in a small pond is is nice for your ego, but when yeah. you go into a bigger pond and you oh, recognise that you're not even scratching. I remember the one of the things in this conference, the business guys who were doing it, they were like, you know, in America, a SME business is still considered to be a small to medium business up to 125 million in turnover, and I just like that stuck with me because you know in New Zealand you're sort of talking a couple million dollars or, or whatever it might be, and it just blew my mind, you know, and and just thinking about scale. And, and there was a number of, I'm a sucker for one-liners mm -hmm. and quotes, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I, I write them all down and try to apply them to what I'm doing or, or what we're doing here. So, yeah, it is that, yeah, the world's a, New Zealand's very small and mm. sometimes you've got to think a little bit bigger um, out of it and see how you can apply that to a smaller market as well. Yeah, mm. yeah, and I think when you, like, when you increase the size of your aspiration to such a point, you think differently about like what the skills and 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 um, action that's required to go from three to four is entirely different to the skills and action that's required to go from three to twelve. Definitely, you yep. know. And so I think one times when you think far bigger, yeah. I think on my top of my vision board it says think bigger. You know, it's yep. just you know, we get so caught up in trying to get from three to four or four to five or Definitely. five to six. But if you're like, how do I get to fifteen? you know, what would have to happen and what would I have to do? All of a sudden you start like thinking about the problem entirely differently, right? Uh, absolutely. And I think one of the big learnings that, you know, that I've got over the last few years is that, you know, we had a chairman because we've had an independent board and, you know, I always think it's a great idea for small business to do that. Um, but he was the first to sort of sow the seed of, um, you know, raising your sights, lifting your nose, you know, not thinking about, you know, our, our budgets to grow by 20%, but thinking about what if we were 15, 20, 30, whatever it is, you know, mm. what if we were that, um, what would the business look like and what would you need to do? And it was interesting going to America because they talked a lot about that. They talked about um, break points in business, like three to five million might be a break point where you need different skills, different things to get to 15. At 15, it's a break point. You've got to go again, 25 is a break point, 50 is a break point and so on and so on. And it was really interesting like listening to that and thinking that's it's actually 100% accurate, you know, because mm -hmm. I was thinking of all the businesses, you know, when I sit on their boards or I'm part of their strategy, I see them, I know their size, I know their revenue, and I can see those break points. And it's the same for us. Mm -hmm. So it was almost like regardless of sector, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then being able to look at that and say, well, that's where opportunity is as a, I guess, as an agency partner as well to trying to position yourself more commercially is to actually to align to show that you understand that and mm -hmm. then you can apply, you know, your skill set to help get past those breakpoints, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, mm. it definitely does. And that's why we love working with private business. Mm -hmm. You know, we still do corporate and, you know, we've done government work and all that stuff. But for me, my passion's private business. I like dealing with business owners um, of varying sizes who are ambitious and want to have a crack because that's who we are. Mm -hmm. And so I resonate with that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a comfortable space because mm -hmm. you're all shooting for the same thing at that point. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, and one of the things that I guess you might find, you know, maybe you maybe not, is that, um, you know, as um, you know, you grow, trying to remain dynamic and, mm. you know, because, you know, you're talking about those small businesses that you love working with because they are dynamic, they can move and change and there's not 15 decision makers and all this bureaucracy yeah. to make something happen. And But as a business scales, that also is kind of the the opposite of that. You end up having yeah. more people. You've got middle management now. You've got these Definitely. things that are preventing that agility. Yep. Like, how do you try and sort of overcome that so you remain as adaptive as you were? Well, I think the thing is with working in that private business space, the thing is, is that as clients grow and whatnot, there's a real honesty in working in that private space because if you're adding value and you're actually aligned and they are moving forward, you will probably have that relationship for a long, long time. If you're working in corporate and with a marketing manager, that manager may change three or four times during your relationship and you can lose a client through no fault of your own without even a phone call mm-hmm. in that space. It's a very, very different thing. And I think with the, um, you know, going back to how you sort of work, you know, from small and they get bigger and more people get involved and whatnot, I think the measure is, is that as long as you're aligned commercially, you're actually evolving, that relationship evolves with you as you move forward. Mm-hmm. So it's actually for us, you know, trying to find that ambitious business that wants to, whatever it is, you mm-hmm. know, grow, scale, whatever it is, um, that resonates. And for us, we know how to do that, mm-hmm. um, you know, to a, you know, we've had success at a certain level and we mm-hmm. know we know the issues. And it doesn't matter whether what sector you're in, how big, how long you've been going, everyone has the same issues. You know, Mm -hmm. they have issues around people, they have issues around cash flow, they have issues around marketing and sales. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as long as you can resonate with that and and be part of that solution, you can grow with them. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I'd heard of your your organisation long before, um, you know, I knew Ali who works Mm -hmm. with you and, um, and your team. And so you've, you know, clearly done exceptionally well commercially. What's been, um, you know, in a commercial sense, what's been your biggest challenge, you know, running and operating the business? You talked about before your biggest challenge of sort of trying to be a good dad and incorporate, you know, that into your life. But when you look at sort of a, you know, uh, I mean, often people look at someone who's been really successful and and just think that it's all been, you know, roses and sunbeds and, you know, champagne on the beach. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we know that that, that's certainly not the case. And is there a particular challenge that, you know, you you can think of that in the the business or in its, you know, know, history of growth that you've overcome that you look back on and go like, that's, I'm really glad we did that. Yeah, um, man, there's so many on the way through because your goals, your objectives, things change on the way through a lot. I think, you know, I go back probably, wouldn't have been, probably would have been 2014, 2015. It was around that time. We, we're we uber ambitious and we're, we've been very clear on where we want to get to. And at the time, we had, you know, a number of people in the business that were not aligning to what we wanted to do. And that was a real challenge for us. So we had to go, we had to make a decision at that time that actually we were going to back our strategy and the vision and the right people would stay with us and the wrong people wouldn't. And we had a lot of, we went through a real niggly time. I think we had 50% of our workforce in 12 months change. And for an agency that has been so good in retention, you know, most of the time all the way through, and especially now, that was a hard thing. It was really hard because I was looking at it going, we're losing half our resource. How are we going to service our clients? But we were doing it to set ourselves for the next phase of growth. Mm -hmm. So I think part of it was making 
you know, the right decision for the business um, at the time and sort of backing yourselves that you were right and that needed to happen to break through whatever um, stage we were at at that time. That yeah. was probably the big thing, I yeah. think. And, apart, you know, the, the other thing to that is as you scale, it's cash flow. Cash flow is very, very hard. Um, in services, businesses like ours, it's hard for banks to get behind us because we don't have strong balance sheets. Yeah. We're not an asset-driven business. Yeah. Our assets are our people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you're going from, you know, 30 to 60 to 80 people or whatnot, you know, your cash flow becomes a real battle, you know, and we've had that. And then you layer in things like growing your marketing offering and you've got a lot of digital marketing costs and mm. managing debt and yada, yada, yada. You know, that's probably the been one of the big, big challenges. And we've made calls that have made that harder for us along the way. We've made done some things that in hindsight probably weren't the smartest way of doing it. Mm. But it battle hardened us as yeah, well, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. I think particularly at the moment, you know, I, I unfortunately think there's going to be some commercial carnage, you know, Definitely. Like out there because we come off the back of COVID, and and yeah. you know, most unless you're in tourism and maybe hospitality in New Zealand, like yeah. your business was sort of humming right the last couple of yep. years, and if you weren't conscious of cash flow, <clears> you can yep. sort of, you know, now we're seeing the market tighten in most most markets at least anyway. Yep. Um, you know, if, if you've if you've over resourced or um, Definitely. And I think there's a challenge, you know, like for us, as I said, we've gone from 40 odd people to 80 in the mm. last two years. And, you know, but we haven't done that just chasing the work at the time. We're a big picture with what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We know like at the moment, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we have got too much capacity probably today, but we're backing ourselves to fill that. Mm -hmm. And we're having great success on onboarding the right type of client. Mm -hmm. So we're correcting that pretty quick. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't know. I think there will be carnage over the next wee while. You know, mm. you, we're already seeing a bit of that starting mm. to happen. Yeah. You're hearing it in the media more, you know, and you're seeing it in some of the corporates, and that will funnel down to SME businesses mm. and whatnot as well. So it's definitely coming. Um, yeah. But I think the thing is that's where having a sound strategy in place is so critical yeah. because you don't make knee-jerk reactions. Yeah. You know, and part of any good strategy is, you know, aligning business and brand mm -hmm. and playing big picture. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, what you said before about challenges with staff, um, you know, I've I heard that the you know, the, the toughest person in your business is the talented arsehole. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's the most detrimental because yeah, I've had a bit of that. Yeah. I mean I mean, like they're in every industry, right? You mm -hmm. know, like and, and we've had exactly the same and it's the person who does, you know, brings in, you know, looks after good clients, brings yep. in a lot of, you know, money into the business or whatever the objective is for their role. Yep. Um, but at the same time is, is destroying culture or, you know. Yeah, I'm very wary of that because we've always tried to grow um, our people through the business and we've done a good job of that. But you also can't scale and build your business um just by doing that alone. You need new ideas. Mm -hmm. So you need to bring in uh, people from the outside. And you need people to come in that challenges it too because creating a good culture isn't about someone coming in and fitting the culture. It's about someone coming in and furthering the culture. Mm -hmm. And that's what you want to happen, you know. And I think, you know, new ideas are a good thing and it, it keeps everyone, I suppose, thinking about the next opportunity and not just becoming Groundhog Day by the same old thing you've always done, mm. you know. So I think there is something to, you know, not fitting but furthering, you know, when you're thinking of culture and whatnot and you're looking for that. I think that's really true because, you know, that's 
yeah, bringing in talent is you need to evolve, right? Like the the, the company needs to evolve as you yep. grow, and and to do that, the culture needs to evolve. And um, you know, if you've got the same group of people, it's hard for for things to change. Definitely. I mean, when we were smaller, like we've always been known. I'd like to think in the market for having a great culture, and but people think about culture in different ways. Like when when you're younger and you're growing, it's all about fun, right? So you know, we've always done you know great things with you know, events with the staff, you know, annual awards, sending people overseas on big trips and all those things which are awesome. But on the way through, we've also had to shift from a culture of fun to a culture of performance and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's foreign when you've always done it one way. So we've had to go through that sort of repositioning the agency um, and getting people to understand that, you know, with scale and getting bigger, it creates more opportunities. But it also means that we have to perform because mistakes are bigger, mm-hmm. you know, when you have scale. Yeah. So we never want to lose that fun and that environment and that family feel that we've always had and we still have it. But we do need our leadership to understand as well that, you know, we, we need to perform now, you know, mm-hmm. and we need to get ready for this next phase, you yeah. know, and and that's been good. And, and luckily for us, you know, we've got a fantastic team and on balance, you know, people get that and, and want that too, yeah. which is cool. Looking from an outside perspective, it seems like one of the th- and you described it when I said, "What would you do if you open a new business?" It sounds like that you set the foundations really clear, like right at the start. Even when it was just you and Lisa, and, yep. and, and kind of the analogy I always have is that you know, like if, a, if the foundations are off, the taller the building gets, the more off kilter the whole structure is, and the more likely it is to fall over. Great way of looking at it. And, yep. and so I, I think that when you look at businesses that have that have gone on to succeed and um, you know, l- you know, really stood the test of time, it's that they but they had this started with really, really solid foundations of who they were and how they were going to operate and what was important to them. And I think from looking from an outside point of view and from this conversation, it certainly sounds like that you guys took the time at the start to set a really clear foundation. And although you're still dealing with, with, with problems now, you're not you're not having an identity crisis in any sense. No, I think it's, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great way to look at it. I mean, foundations are critical. And, you know, whether you're talking about it from a operational people, brand, whatever, it's having that solid structure and vision. And I guess from me, it's actually being able to look out a couple of years, you know, what I've always, and we were the same at doing this and working with so many businesses that everyone's so fixated on a budget. So they have a 12-month view. We've, and the amount of times I've had someone say to me, we've got to grow by 20%. That's just the number they throw all the time. 20%, 30%, we've got to grow, yada, yada, yada. But there's never a strategy beyond that. And we've only just started to cotton on to that for ourselves and to have a bit of a structure where we're presenting to our team now three horizons and everything we do. So instead of uh, our team thinking about constant change fatigue because every year we're changing the goalposts, we're actually purposefully laying out three horizons over a five-year period. So horizon one might be 12 to 18 months. This is what the structure of the team will look like. This is what we've got in place and this is our key objectives. 12 to 24 months, it's going to look like this and 36 months and beyond, it should look like this. So when we get to those points, it's familiar And Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. You know, whether you're setting growth for your business or a target, you're actually setting a pathway so people understand it. So they don't get into that position of like, man, we're constantly changing. We've only just found our feet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've been really honest with our team too about that, that, you know, if you enjoy change, fast pace and opportunity, you're going to do really, really well with us. But Mm -hmm. if you like to come and do the same thing, no movement, probably not going to be a good place for you over the next few years. You yeah. know? And I think it's a good thing to be able to say that confidently yeah. in a um, positive 
positive yeah. way. Yeah. And that's the I think that's the best way up front because ultimately if someone doesn't align with what you're trying to do or, or not what you're trying to do but how you're going to do it, yeah. then it's not going to work out because it's not right for them and it's not right for you. And, yep. and even though they might be a lovely person and really talented, Definitely. ultimately yeah. if you're not aligned on how things are going to happen, it can present more challenges than uh, than not. Yeah, um you know, I, I wrote this question down, but it's sort of, I can almost answer it for you, but I, I wrote, you know, what would you do if you woke up tomorrow and Plato didn't exist? And not mm. forget the circumstances that caused it, yep. but, you know, if you had to start from scratch tomorrow, yep. what would you do? Um, yeah, well, I, did, I would definitely, definitely go back down the path of uh, starting business again. Um, if I had never have done Plato, or if, are you saying if I had done Plato and it just finished tomorrow, would mm. I go and do something else? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, man, oh, there's so many, there's so many opportunities around business. You know, our key, what with our rebrand at the moment, we're going to launch. Um, actually, this is uh, fresh off the press type <laughs> stuff, but you know, we're launching uh, what we call Plato Ventures, um, and that's going to be a brand as part of Plato, where it's basically an investment vehicle into startups, um, businesses that we can partner with to scale and whatnot. So I see myself 100% being in that sort of investment, um, private board, consultancy space. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to do. Yeah. You know, I love that business. I love the... I love the chase. You know, mm-hmm. I love being able to sit down with business owners or an idea and then figure out, you know, how are we going to do that yeah. um, and get around it. So I think I'd move into that space. Yeah, yeah. And the, the reason I sort of figured I could answer that for you is because it talks to the the, the value of, of self-education and, and growth, which you've obviously, you know, done hugely over the last few, you know, number of years. Mm-hmm. But it's like the... Even if Plato didn't exist tomorrow, like I'm sure you would be 100% successful in the next, in 12 months, and it's because hope so, of yeah. your your knowledge, your skill yep. set, your your experience, and I think that's a, a quite a good lesson because um, you know, like if 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 if, you, if it's if it's you that is the value, then it doesn't matter what comes or goes. Yeah, absolutely, you know? and I think having an open mind to opportunity. Mm-hmm. There was a I can't remember whose quote it was, but it's a real good quote about you know being successful is not about um, what you say yes to, but it's what you say no to. You know, it's knowing yeah. what to focus on. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a real, for me as well, you know, I've had opportunities over the last few years to partner with other businesses, go in and whatnot. And, you know, it's kind of been that thing, I'm going to get to that, but at the agent stage, our business still has so much stuff that it needs to do, right? Um, so it's been able to get clarity and get some of the distraction out of what I was doing in the property space. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that stuff. But if the agency's not successful, that stuff's not. So being really, really focused back on what we're doing now has been the critical thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I really want to look at uh, new business opportunities. Mm-hmm. I want our business to be self-sufficient, which we're getting there with our structure and mm-hmm. um, our management and our key people. Um, so I can, you know, ultimately, um, I'd love to think that I'd be full-time on Plato Ventures, yeah. looking at investment, partnering with other people who want to, you know, come up with good ideas mm-hmm. or investing in clients' businesses. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. I've said no when I wish I hadn't because mm. they've been very successful in mm. that time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but they're all good good learnings and it shows you that there is a pathway to that in the future. Yeah. Oh, it's an exciting future, isn't it? Yeah, it's cool. Of, I'm really, I'm pumped about, yeah, about doing that. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be good. Where do you, at the moment, if you, you know, it's 2023, it's 2033, yep. you and I are sitting here, yeah. you know, and I asked you, you know, what's been the last 10 years like? What would you, what, do you, what would you hope to say? Oof. 
man, I would say that it was a fun ride, but a crazy ride. You know, I think for me, the next 10 years for me, I'm very, very clear on what that looks like. Um, You know, I really believe that we can create a um, creative services group that's got 50, 75 million dollars in revenues. I know that we'll be able to invest in multitude of other businesses. So I want to create scale, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I want to be able to look back and say, not only have we created this, but we've actually got people who have helped us get there, now owning part of it, you know, and now driving it. So it's that idea of um, creating opportunity and wealth for the people who have helped you become successful. Mm -hmm. I really um, resonate with that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think for me, that would be real success. Um, And and I'm going to do it. We're going to do it. That's the way we, yeah, I I, I see that, you know. So I'd like to think that we've made develop some really, really um, good entrepreneurial people who are driving the mothership yeah. um, in the future. How exciting. And I like, you know, you say that with absolute conviction and I have, mm. I have no reason to never think it won't happen. Um, exciting. Mm. Exciting. Hey, um, a couple of things to finish up. Um, and this is a, a bit hard, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but no. what, what product, service or idea have you discovered or come across or started using in the last year or so that you think is just like 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 a whoop would be an example, but you can't use that because I've just said it. Mm. But, you know, like is, is there idea. something or like a, um, you know, like a, you know, a, 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 a website or a, 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 a anything? It might be a restaurant or a, or, or a, you know, maybe it's, cold baths or whatever it is, but there's something yep. that you've come across in the last, you know, wee while mm. that you've gone like, I've, you'll see you've got some sort of tablet mm. situation oh, yeah. here, like a, a remark, I've heard of that. but only just got suckered into this through being remarketed to yes, it about a yes, thousand times. I'm the same. I'm the same yeah, <laughs> I yeah. got it last week. So, Did you? Yeah. you know, is, is there something that you've sort of come across that you've gone, man, this is really cool and exciting and I'm, I'm excited that I've got the opportunity to use it or see it or... Yeah, I mean, one thing I've come across recently that I'm right into is Blinkist, which is, uh, you've probably seen it, but it's a, basically it's a audio book and um, summarise of key books and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. it's easy for people who are busy to learn, Mm -hmm. you know. For me, that's awesome. I'm right into that. So big time because it aligns to, you know, as I said, with running and listening to audio books and podcasts and all that type of stuff, um, right into right into that space at the moment, I think it's big. I think the big area that I'm getting really interested in is AI and Mm. seeing what impact that's going to have, you know, on business and whatnot. We're starting to get our heads around that a little bit, but there's massive opportunity in that space and massive change coming. Don't know exactly what. I'm not an expert in that space, Mm. but I'm certainly aware of it and looking at it pretty closely now um, because who knows where that's going to, you know, what that's going to change because it will change business models. Yeah. You know, and I want to keep building businesses, so I've got to be ahead of that somehow. Yeah. Do you agree with that letter that came out that sort of requested that they pause on further development until they can sort of understand it a bit better? Yeah, I, I actually do, not specifically to that letter, but I do think it's going to require regulation. I was actually talking to a guy the other day who is an expert in this space, and he said that's impossible um, and it won't be able to happen. And I was like, oh, shit, that's a bit niggly. Mm. But, you know, look, it has the ability to change so much so quick, and with that comes, you know, some challenges that we're probably not totally aware of yet. So, Mm. 
Yeah, I think when you've got people like Elon Musk and stuff out there saying that it needs to pause, um, mm. that you know, there's probably a good argument for it. Yeah. <laughs> so who knows? But man, yeah. it's it's definitely changing everything. That's for sure. Yeah, it's we've sort of it's that it's that real exponential growth, isn't it? Like yeah. it's like we're it's in the very like the last. If you think about it, you think about that the our lifespan, right? The last sort of yeah. you know, forty years, the amount of change that's happened. You know, like and you know, like I, you know. I spent a bit of time with my, my, my granddad and I'd ask him these things and he, he had a job for what he had one job his entire career, mm. you know, and he, yep. he and, and you know, he'd never used the computer and he and it didn't evolve. And you think about, you know, what's happened in the last forty years, everything from travel and internet yep. and technology and how our lives have evolved and you know, we can't live without a, a product that didn't exist twenty years ago now. And um, you know, what a what a crazy but exciting time yeah. to live through. You always try to think what it's going to be like for our kids, mm. you know, in another 20 years, what will it look like? That's the stuff that I kind of think about a lot and think, man, you know, because the change has been so rapid, you know. I remember when we started the business 2007, I think 2008 is when, or around then, it's when iPad and all that stuff come out and look what that did. And mm. they're sort of talking about, you know, with AI and stuff, how exponential that's going to be. It's crazy. It's crazy to think. Yeah, it's almost kind of. I mean, I don't even know if it's the right analogy, but it's like like the internet. It's like, mm. it's like another layer that sits over top of everything and can yeah. just disrupt everything. And and you're right. It always, you know. And one of the things I love about podcasts is that I hope that you know your kids might listen to this in 20 years. Yeah, yeah, and they'll that's listen cool. to it and they'll go like, "Oh my god, AI was wasn't even a thing yeah. then," and they were scared about it and they were writing letters and definitely worried about it for sure. Yeah, yeah. it's um and and yeah, you know, I saw a thing the other day and there was uh, it was about a a group of people that were protesting outside of university and when calculators came out, they said you shouldn't be able to use calculators. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and the same sort of thing's happening now. It's like you shouldn't be able to use AI for tests or exams or job applications or whatever it might be. But Definitely. at the same time, it's kind of like, well, what's the what's the opportunity? Like if they can use AI in their ability to do the, the, the complete their tasks, then yeah. Yeah. like it, it's, it's not, not so much about your skill, but your skill might be the ability to use AI. And That's if you right. can use that well enough, you can almost do anything. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting, but mm. uh, but scary. Um, yeah. What are you most proud of when you look back? Um, I th- yeah. Honestly, I know it's the, um, the one that everyone says, but, you know, being a dad, you know, having little girls has been probably the the big thing for me. Um, yeah, I mean, when I think, if I look back on all the business stuff, you know, I don't, and neither does Lisa, we don't stop very often to think about the business, but we stop all the time and think about the kids, mm-hmm. you know. And so, you know, for me, I think, you know, we've got a, a great, uh, great relationship, great family network um, with our girls. It's probably the the thing that we've done that I'm most proud of. But I think from a business point of view, you know, like I'm proud that we went from no knowledge, no understanding to building something of decent size and scale. I think that's cool. I think the next step for me really is now it's, you know, proud to be able to not be the CEO, um, step back from that, um, enable our team to take the next chapter. I think that stuff, you know, because I think in business, you know, you can be successful in business, but so tied to it that if you're not there, there's no intrinsic value. Um, I've got past that. Um, you know, at least when I've got past that now, the business is an asset now, um, with or without us. Five years ago, it probably wasn't so much. You know, so and I'm always, and I think any business owner should do this, and brand plays a part in this as well. But you know, you should always be thinking about the value of the business. How do you create value? And you do that by de-risking it. 
de-risking it from owners, de-risking it from specific clients or specific key person in the business, whatever it might be. So looking at that, and I think it's a good exercise to value your business um, every few years to make sure you are actually um, setting a, a KPI or an objective around doing those things. And I think we're sort of getting at that phase now, you know, mm. where we've created something that if we get hit by a bus tomorrow, um, it carries on. And that's probably, you know, from a business sense, the thing that I'm, I'm most proud of is we've we've transitioned, you know, from yeah. owner-operator oper- to investor, Yeah, probably. Yeah, mm. it's a legacy that, you know, more than likely outlive. I hope so, yeah. you know, and that's why we were always fixated on not selling it to a network, you yeah. know. Um, we may sell it to some of our key people eventually. Mm. Um, we'll probably always have a hand in it, mm. um, but... You know, I'd like to. I don't want it to get brought and torn apart and yeah. whatnot. I I want to look back on this hopefully in 10, 15, 20 years, and it's still running um, and going really, really well. When we might not be in it, yeah, that'd be cool. Do you feel successful? Uh yeah, I do. I feel successful because it's it's actually a hard question. I do. I feel. I think success for me is multifaceted, you know, it's like what we were saying before, you know, like I feel like I'm healthy, I feel like we've, you know, we've been successful financially, I guess, Um, and I've got a great relationship and great kids, you know, so if you look at those three things together, I'd say, yep, pretty successful, but certainly not at the finish line, and I success today will be very different to what success looks like in two years mm. versus what it will be in five to ten. Yeah. And I think that's, for me, it's, um, you know, rolling with the punches and keep moving towards something more. Because I do feel when you get comfortable or static, um, you start to go backwards. And and it's why it's the old thing in business, you know, you get a wee bit of success, you buy a batch, you buy a car, you buy a boat. They always talk about that, right, mm-hmm. in New Zealand businesses. That's the mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, I've gone and done those things um, and that gives you a bit of satisfaction for a month or two months, um, but it, it's not long-lasting. So I think for me, it's actually about challenging yourself and setting, having aspirational goals and going after them. And whether that's in a business sense, as a dad, as a, in a relationship, whatever it is, health, um, chasing something, you know, mm. so it's actually better than where you are today, hopefully, in yeah. 12, 24 months. Yeah, and enjoying the chase as well. Enjoying the chase, You know, it's yeah. not just about getting there, it's about no. the... No, that's the thing. I think you're... You know, you learn a lot from the failures. And as long as you're, I don't know, I always have that. My, I used to take everything personally, everything. It would rock me. Anything that went wrong, I'd just chew on it for a long time. But now I kind of relate it back to that's happened before and I was better for it. So onwards and upwards. And I've, I've learned that skill. Lisa's always had that skill, but I've learned that a lot more now. You know, mm. so I think it's that, that thing of just knowing that if it's plain sailing, you're probably not pushing hard enough, you know, and, and I feel, I really feel there's something in that. If you're getting everything right, you're probably not moving fast enough or you're not trying hard enough, in my view, you know. Mm. I think you've got to push hard and take calculated risk but be prepared, you know, for things not to always go right. Mm. But you'll be better for it at the end. Yeah. Comfort zones kill potential, right? And that's yeah, of, uh... definitely. And, yeah, and I'm very keen to stay out of that comfort zone now. You know, I've mm. learned a lot about that. And mm. so we're doing some things that I'm definitely out of my comfort zone mm. going forward. Leaving the country for 90 days, you know, Lisa and I have not been out of the business for more than two and a half weeks since we started, you know. So to mm. go away for three months, um, that's way out of my comfort zone. Mm. <laughs> but... There'll be issues if I stay. There'll be issues if I go. Mm. So you just gotta, 
you know, accept yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And also I think, you know, the same thing happened with us on a completely different scale, obviously, but, um, you know, you you recognise that, you know, make, oh, we got back and we sort of realised that we weren't as important as we thought we were yeah, for us anyway. You're like, man, they, they, yeah. they had problems but they solved them and they worked yeah. hard and, gosh, maybe it's even in a better position now than, than yeah. when it was when it left, you know. And that will happen with us, yeah, you yeah. know. We'll have to eat a little bit of humble pie but, you know, we've got no, I've got no ego at all with that stuff and, you know, and I really, I back, the team, you know, we've got great people and look, they've deserved to have a crack without us walking around the place all the time, you know, and, and it's going to be cool. And I'm actually excited to see it um, mm. because everyone says at Plato, you know, if you go away on two week holiday, come back, everything's changed. And it's kind of true. So I can only imagine 90 days, yeah. us coming back, it's going to be like, yeah. holy shit. You know? Are you going to try and stay out of it for 90 days? <laughs> like. Yeah, look, I will have to work a little bit. You know, yeah. I've got some commitments with key clients. Um, I sit on a couple of boards. Um, so I'm trying to schedule that so I'll still participate mm-hmm. in those things. I am going to – I'm not going to micromanage while I'm away. I'm definitely going to let go and let the team do their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will be available if yeah. need be, yeah. you know. So I'm definitely not going to be sitting in a hotel in front of my computer every day. Um but I will be available if needed, I guess. Yeah. Mm. So, oh. I, yeah, that'll be a hard thing for me. Yeah. It's one of my things is to be present, you know, with the family and enjoy the journey, you know. It's great time, you know, with our girls. And I want to make the most of it, you know, and because um, it's a privilege to be able to do it. So, you know, I don't want to be stressed out and worrying about every little thing in the business. Yeah. Um, I want to sort of let it go and let it be. Yeah, be where your feet are. That's kind of one thing that yep. I learned. I like that phrase because it's sort of like, you know, if you're if you're on holiday and you're worrying about work, you should just go to work. And if you're at work thinking about holiday, you probably should just go on holiday. Because, yeah, you know, it's a great way to look at it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, um, I agree. If if you could whisper into the if the entire planet was listening to this right mm. now by some bizarre, you know, if you could give advice to the entire planet. You know, something that you've learned over, you know, a, a career that's gone from or a life that's gone from, you know, an abusive father leaving to, you know, dropping out of high school to, you know, pursuing a, a trade and then learning from a family and then, you know, taking some risks and starting a marketing agency or, or a design agency and then to where you've come through now. Is there a bit of advice that you would share from that position that would... Yeah, I, I honestly think it would... <laughs> I guess from my own side, I'd say enjoy the space that you're in, you know, like for me, it's the journey, right? So not to get too caught up on where you're going to be in five years, um, because if I thought like that all the way through, I I would have never have thought that Plato would exist when I was a diesel mechanic, you know, um, you know, I think probably the big thing for me is enjoying each stage, because each stage only comes around once, I believe. And so you've kind of got to enjoy it while you're in it um, and then roll with the punches. You know, I think that would be the the, the key things for me is be pre- pre- probably what you just said in your quote before, you know, be present of what you're doing. Um, have goals, but, you know, make sure you're enjoying the process of getting there because it, 
everything sort of seems to work out, if that makes sense. Yeah, it yeah. all falls into place. Yeah. You look back and you realise that you're exactly where you're meant to be and if certain yeah. things hadn't have happened, you never would be there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And kids are a great reminder of how fast time goes, I find. Man, you know, like so much so. You and me meet yeah. in two years. You know, we're probably going to look relatively the same, yeah. right? But you, you meet my daughter like you just before in two years' time, yeah. you probably won't recognise her. Oh, it's great. Yeah, and it's so true. It's one of the blessings yeah. of children is that they you're reminded just how quick things move and you know now was the there's that Tyson Fury that clip that sort of went viral and he's sitting there and he's saying that he realized that nothing is ever actually ours like this you know yeah this is my house and you could say maybe legally my land but yep. 50 years 100 years 200 years someone yeah. else will own it yeah. you know like this might be my watch or my shirt or my computer but one day it'll be rubbish and and yeah. and you don't really actually have anything you, all you have yeah. is the moment right now that's in front of your face that's that we've it got. it's the moment yeah. yeah it's the time and enjoying that piece of it whatever it looks like you know i think it's so true what a good yeah, way to end it. So John, true. mate, that was, um, mm. that was just under two hours of, of, of conversation zone. That felt like half an hour. Yeah, it flies by, doesn't it? That's and crazy. I, I always say this to people, like I think that the one good thing we get to do when we have a, a podcast conversation is when was the last time you sat down with someone uninterrupted for two hours and looked them in the eye and had a conversation? Yeah. I've never actually done it like this but yeah. at all, yeah. you know, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's been you cool. know, just the fact that we've got microphones here makes it sort of different, yeah, yeah. but um, it's exciting. And mate, I've, what a story as well. You know, I, you know, I'm sure everyone that's listening is going to, you know, think that, you know, what a, what a, you know, it's inspirational as much as it is, um, you know, aspirational. I think that, um, you know, you've, you've come from a place and, and, and not only achieve success in your own life, but being able to, you know, allow other people to do the same. And I think, you know, the way you're talking about trying to be a role model and an inspiration for your family and for people you employ, um, you know, what a, you know, all you want to do in life really is get to the end and feel like, you know, it was worth it, you enjoyed it and, and people are, are better off because of it. And I think if you continue on what you're doing, not only am I excited to watch, but um, mm. I've no doubt you'll accomplish that. So okay. No, I appreciate that. No, cool. Thanks for having me on. It's cool. Wow, and there we go. What an amazing guy. What an amazing story. And um, man, I love that conversation as well. And uh, that's two hours. That's the longest podcast I've ever done. And uh, it just flew by, which is always a sign of a conversation that I'm fully immersed in. I loved it. And uh, look, if you're still listening, I hope you did too. So look, a huge thank you to you for listening to the Road to Success podcast. Of course, a huge thank you to John for making the time to come here and chat with me for a couple of hours. Man, there were some incredible bits of wisdom and knowledge and insight um, in that podcast, in that conversation. And I hope that it's of value to you and you can go away and utilize some of the stuff that John shared in there. Because, um, you know, when you listen to that and his story, there's um, there's no surprises that he's been as successful as he has. And um, look, I'm just as excited um, to watch the next few years and the next decade of John's career involved and um, you know I'm probably equally in awe as I am inspired so look I hope it's the same for you so huge thank you to John and of course um, you know I love having these conversations and they wouldn't be possible without people just like you right now wherever you are at the gym in your car out for a walk you listen to this podcast right now um, I do it because people like you listen so thank you so much for listening and if you could do me one huge favor that would be amazing if you can uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it right now if you can rate the podcast leave it a five-star review that would mean the world to me and of course share it there'll be a share button wherever you're listening to this right now you can hit it and send it to someone that may like it or take some value out of john's wisdom that he shared today um, or you can just share it straight to your social media platform um, that would mean the world to me and be very 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 much appreciated 
Until next time, love ya, see ya, bye.